to a huge show this is one of our biggest show that we had in a long time we have a special guest from hey bartender we have anthony we have rocker mike the uh the rock specialist and you got myself and we're talking about today the making of the white album to me one of the best beatles album other than the uh 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 sergeant pepper's lonely heart man <laughs> <laughs> if I got, but I probably fucked that up. And uh, Mike, you want to give a little decoration because once again, the family lost a member. Yeah, um, we're going to dedicate this episode to our friend Billy the Artist, Billy Miller, uh, from International Bar. He was a regular there for many years, uh, fixture in the East Village, a world renowned artist. Billy the Artist, you would uh, know his bright color, style. Um, anywhere. He was very famous. He designed Swatch. He designed uh, sets, I believe, for Rent. He was involved with years back. Uh, he also but, had the piano. The yes. Piano, he could play the jazz. He could play, he could play piano. Um, I was very... Th th this hit me really hard this weekend. Uh, he got sick very suddenly last month and passed away after just a couple of weeks. But... Uh, Billy was a was a was a great guy, a good drinking buddy in the bar, and he was also a very early uh, proponent. Or, or you know, he gave me and Rob a lot of confidence when we were starting these podcasts. When we started the rock shows, when it was just one podcast, the rock show, we were doing the shows from the bar Sunday morning at ten o'clock, and Billy used to be there, and he would listen, and he'd. He says, you guys are great. You got a good chemistry. Keep it going. Keep it going. And then as we got on a roll, you know, he would always say, hey, what's next? You know, I loved your show last week. The guy, the guy was great. I mean, he really gave us a lot of confidence and everything to keep doing this. And But he was like that with everybody. He was, he was yeah. a, a guy, when he came in the bar, he always had a nice word to say. If it was 11 o'clock, you look at your watch, oh, Billy's coming in. That was like, he was like clockwork with that. And uh, he come in with a paper under his arm, old school kind of guy. I think he was originally from Cleveland, but he was in yeah. New York for like the last 30 odd years. So he was an honorary New Yorker. And uh, yeah. what do you got? The Hey Bartender chip? 
So I got to do a promo. You guys want this chip? You go to any bar, you flip it over, you can get somebody to pay for your drink. Because we got an <laughs> iconic guest. We yes. got Anthony, a Beatle expert. I'm going to ask him about the fake Paul McCartney, if Paul McCartney died. <laughs> this, uh, it know, actually will come get, up. It will come up in the making. We got a yeah. lot of shit for you. Because let me tell you, Mike does the show. He got another question. We got another question. We'll bring you in. Because you're a huge Beatles fan, so who else better than... Well, hey, Anthony, I'll do my best. Hey, bartender podcast. <laughs> How did that show do? Because I, like, I put on my thing, and it did very good. The video did very good. You did very good when you were on the show. So we got over a thousand uh, downloads on uh, on um, YouTube. So the show did very good for us. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Anybody ever what tried peanut butter whiskey? Uh, you know, I've heard a lot about it. I've never. I just what, broke it open it, tonight, first time. It's pretty damn good. <laughs> really? I, yep. I've only heard about it. I've never tried it myself. I, so. I wasn't sure. You know, I said, let me try it for the hell of it. So I bought a bottle. It's pretty damn good. Anthony, I got to tell you, you got a great voice for podcast because your voice is so well known. Like when I hear the <laughs> Hey Bartender, I thought you had a great voice, just like Mike. And uh, we have a lot of shit going on, and um, between the conspiracy, between the rock and Mike and Percent, and the rock show. But you, you're the Beatle guy, man. How do you, Mike? Should I let him start the podcast? How you want to start this? Well, we're going to be talking about the the making of the Beatles' White Album. Now, this was Red Album. Yep, and this was for a long time. It was my favorite Beatles album. It's still up there. Uh, I kind of lean towards revolver these days but a great album. yeah but the white album was was very important now it was there you know we'll get into this and then anthony you know if you ever want to interrupt and jump in say something you know go ahead but um before i start what, what where do you stand with this album in, in your beatles history uh in my beatles history it, it's uh honestly uh, not on the very top of my list. I mean, like you guys said, the, my favorite Beatle album changes annually. I mean, <laughs> right this, uh, this month I'm on, particularly on rubber soul. Uh, wow. but, That's a great album. Rubber soul is a great yes. fucking album. Holy shit. But I grew up, my, I, my earliest childhood memories was listening to Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band with my dad on <laughs> the record player. <laughs> And but uh, the White Album has had some very important songs and incredible history when it came to what the Beatles were doing and what what it was uh, what it, how it came about. And right. uh, I picked up a lot uh, some trivia here and there. I had a really good friend uh, who I used to be roommates with who was uh, big on British rock, so he knew everything about the Beatles. Right. And you know, I picked up some stuff along the way. It's a very Interesting album. Uh, it, it very eclectic, I think, is the way. Eclectic's go a good it. word. Yeah, it's kind of. I don't want to say all over the place in a negative way, but it is all over the right. place in style. You know what? To me, this was not a boy band. This wasn't the Beatle when they first show up in the U.S. This was the Beatle that we're going to separate. We're going our own ways. And to me, that's mm -hmm. the way I felt about the album because there was a lot of individual stuff. And that's what I thought, because one of my favorite songs is on this album. As My Guitar, Gentry Weep, is one Me of too. my favorite fucking songs. Me too. In the whole album. I love that. So I can play that a hundred times. And to me, that's one of the greatest songs. And, and George Harris, 
he that to me who do what Prince did the tribute to him and he went off on his guitar playing this song. Yeah, to me, I that saw was that one footage. of the greatest thing, greatest thing ever. And to well, remember, uh, remember Clapton did the solo, Eric Clapton. Yeah, originally but Prince, on, yeah. on their white album recording. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Was, but then when Prince when Prince did that recording, you see yeah. Prince recording where Eric Clapton say somebody say, "Oh, Eric Clapton, you might be one of the greatest." And he said, "Nah, the greatest guitar is Prince." Eric Clapton <laughs> called Prince the greatest guitar, but yeah. in the original version, called. But dude, that guitar song, dude, that song is such a great song. It is a beautiful song. Yeah. Actually, when I saw that footage of him playing at one of the tributes to George Harrison, I had no idea he was that good of a guitar player until I saw that footage. And Prince Prince was one of these guys that, you know, we you know, we did a, a two-part podcast on him a couple of years ago. But uh really just unbelievable musician, could play like 50 different instruments fluently. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like very well. And uh he was a great guitar player. And I think that sometimes in his music, maybe that didn't shine through as far as like when people think about him, I don't know if they think guitar player. I do. Cause some of the stuff that I like by Prince was really the, the heaviest stuff, you know, that he did. Yeah. Hey Mike, what, what shirt are you wearing? Can you I'm wearing the Hey Bartender shirt. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Nice. So, threw it on. Anthony, <laughs> let me ask you a weird question. Who was your favorite Beatle? Uh, that's a popular question uh, I used to get all the time when I was in the bar because I would always talk about the Beatles constantly. Um, truth being told, when the Beatles were together, coalesced as a group, uh, that was when they were my favorite. Uh, I mean, sure, John, oh, well, all of them had some great moments solo but it never the music that they did by themselves never hit me as hard as the stuff is that they did together, and uh, that's pretty much where I stand on it. I uh, it's almost like I refuse to give a uh, straight answer like Ringo's my favorite or George is my favorite. I but. think your favorite Beatle is Paul McCartney because after seeing that footage, Paul McCartney came this group together. Think about it. He's the one that made them sure. I, I hate to say that to me. Paul well, by the time, by the time, let it, but by the time, let it be was being recorded, written, and recorded. They they were already on the verge of breaking up. I mean, the White Album, they were on the verge of breaking up. You know, right. so, but, uh, I mean, it was it was a slow. Yeah, it was a, it was a you know. Yeah. By the time they did the White Album, I think that they each had all come to their own conclusions that they could get by on their own but think okay. about how how great how, how great that album was because this album yeah. people, I mean, people consider this one of the best uh beatles you have revolver you got sergeant pepper and Lonely hardback which i thought was great i know i know both the songs there but to me the white album was the one that to me like they grew up well they yeah. they went in a yeah. different you know they revolver was a different direction Sergeant Pepper would kind of be a, uh, you know, an expansion on that. Magical Mystery Tour would be a hodgepodge yeah. of that, and then and then they, yeah. you know, they didn't want to make a psychedelic record anymore. The white the white album is not psychedelic. No, people kind of no. think it is, but it's not. It's music. Okay? It's music. Yeah, it's it's really just mm -hmm. a simple, you know, they they intentionally, and I'll, I'll get into this now. They intentionally strip things down and tr wanted to make something less produced than what they had done prior, you know, the last All couple right. of them. 
And, you know, that that's that's what the White Album is. Now, you know, some people make an argument that it's too long. It should have been one album. Uh, there's a lot of filler. I don't think there's any filler on the album, per se. I think that you may have gotten two albums out of it or whatever, but they had a lot of songs in their back catalog that they needed to get to, to put out there. You know, well, that's most of the songs that they wrote, they wrote for the white album were songs that they wrote when they were on their trans in India. Uh, yeah. Their yeah. meditation tour. In Maharishi. India. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I re- uh, read actually earlier today that George actually got mad at Paul because Paul was using the, uh, the meditation as insp- you know, inspiration for writing music. And, and wow. George was like, why aren't you just meditating in, uh, Paul, you know, excuse me for breathing, but uh, yeah, yeah, that was while they were on tour. Yeah, while they were on yeah. tour with Maharishi, they they were just wrenching out the songs, right? And uh, and they were they uh, was they were writing about what they were seeing too. And we'll you know some of right. those songs. I'll go into each of the thirty songs, and we'll talk about a little background on each one, and we can give opinions or whatever. But let's. Let's get this movie. Are you ready for this 30 songs? Are we going to talk about 30 songs? <laughs> well, there's, there's going to be a background before I even talk about that. So, you know. So let's start with hopefully, the first show. Back hopefully you the, took a uh, pee before you started. Okay, so. <laughs> I, I, I did three lines in the bathroom before. So uh, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> and, then I gotta go, and then after this, I got to go see Christina. So I'm, I'm oh, shit. beat up. Oh shit! I tell Christina I said hi. Make sure you tell I, her. I, I, I told her that you would come. I so I'd say you guys are great. She said she loved the podcast. Where all of us talking. Yeah, she yeah. She really she, she told me she watched it. Yeah. So all right. So <laughs> making of the making and, of the and when, uh, Boogie lives. Boogie watches. Bo- Boogie lives. <laughs> of course, you got to mention Boogie lives. <laughs> Boogie lives. <laughs> all right, let's go, Mike. Let's start. All right. Let's talk about this great albums. All right, so Making of the Beatles White Album. Now, this album was released on November 22nd, 1968. It was the ninth studio record, and it was the only double album by the Beatles, okay? Technically now, what what some people forget, too, is it's really not called the White Album. It's called The Beatles. It's just a self-titled album. That's all you see. You look at it, the white cover, The Beatles. And... uh but because it, it had that white cover within immediately of being released, it, it became known as the White Album. Now, 19 out of the 30 songs used on the album were written in Rishikesh, India, Okay, while the band was involved with the Transcendental Meditation Course with the Maharishi Maharishi Yogi. Okay? A bunch of people were on that. Donovan was on that little tour. A bunch of other people. Uh, Mia Farrow's sister, Prudence, which we'll get and, into. And Mia Farrow, Prudence. Yeah. Right. I think Mia also. Yeah. yeah. Now I they mentioned Mike Love. Mike Love from, Mike, the, Beach Mike Love from the Beach Boys were on it. And, uh, you know, a whole wow. entourage of people. Now, during the time there, they had little access to any Western inst- instruments. They just had an acoustic guitar with them, basically. And the songs were written because of that, really. They were written very simply. Um, you know, the idea was that when they would get around to the arrangements, they would also be simple, less production. Uh, they wanted it to kind of be a contrast to what they had done prior, which was Sergeant Pepper, 
which was very produced, Magical Mystery Tour, and even Revolver to some extent was was produced. So um, also Sgt. Pepper, as, as you can imagine, was very influenced by LSD. And during this transcendental meditation tour, they didn't have any access to any acid. So they were just like smoking weed. That was the only thing they could do. So I'm sure that had some effect on how they were writing. Now, <laughs> now <laughs> altogether, there were actually 40 songs written for the album. Uh, not all of them were used, but 26 would be recorded in Escher, England at what was called Kinfons, which was George Harrison's yep where he lived okay yeah yeah he had a recording studio there they made some rough demos um basically the the album itself was recorded may 30th through october 14th 1968 mostly at the abbey road studios and then a few tracks were done at the trident studios in london as well george martin was once again at the producer helm um he you know, he basically, uh, well, I'll go into it more in a minute, but but George Martin was starting to kind of lose a little interest here in the Beatles. Uh, yeah, by this point, they really didn't need him. What, what, what do you think about that, Anthony? Well, George Martin, the, uh, the Beatles wanted him around, but yeah. uh, he was starting to question uh, their songwriting abilities because the songs that they showed up with, were incredibly simple and he actually tried to encourage them let's polish only a few of these up and make one album instead of one big album or two right. big albums wow. right that makes sense that makes a lot of sense and and this this kind of attitude created a lot of friction between him and the band which we'll we'll go into it a little bit more in a minute now um some of the sessions were done at very irregular hours um they kind of were working separately in a lot of ways. Uh, the band wasn't always in the same room recording, which was different than the yeah, way they, they, yeah. they had done things in the past. And what they did was they, they, they booked a, a, a block of a group block of time. Okay. And it was open-ended so they could just come and go whenever they wanted at Abbey road. Um, the band the Beatles record- actually uh, made that fame. Uh, I'm sorry to interrupt. No problem. Uh, the Beatles actually made that uh, more popular in the music industry because pre-Beatle, they would give them bankers, uh, give the mu- musicians or recording artists bankers hours yeah. to come in and record their stuff. But then all of a sudden, the Beatles were like, "I'd prefer to work at night," and yeah. they'd you know they'd already sold millions of albums, and they're like, "If they want to work at night, they're going to work at yeah. night." Yeah, they want they kind of work. <laughs> Right. Well, what and they so what they did here is they they booked like two or three studios in Abbey Road at a time for for weeks on end. Mm-hmm. Okay, I mean they had the money to do it, so they did it. So wait okay. up, so they just booked the they could have it wherever they wanted. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, and they would work all hours. Of the night. Know? <laughs> no, not 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 at that time. <laughs> not any time, really. Not in their existence. You know, you could, well, hey, you call me at one o'clock. I'm sleeping. <laughs> no, well, look, I mean, <laughs> you know, if you're if, if any musicians out there and I, I know I know many. I mean, you might you might get an idea at two forty five in the morning. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And if the studio's open, you just go down there. But anyway, what they did, too, that was different with this is um, they they recorded 
all the rehearsals and jams, and then they they overdubbed the good takes, okay, which was something different that that really. I don't know if anybody you, really did that. What do you mean that they overdubbed the good taste? What do you mean by that? What's well, let's say let's say they were let's say they were working on, uh, while my guitar gently weeps, for instance. Yeah. Okay, uh, oh, better example. Let's say Helter Skelter. Okay, yeah. they they were working on that. Um, they might be working on that song for seven hours, jamming it working it, you know, figuring it out. That whole seven hours would be recorded. Wow. Then they would go back and, and listen the to best it parts. and take the best parts from it. And, wow. and then if they found something that worked, maybe it was just a little primitive, needed some overdubbing, then they would go and overdub on top of that. Okay. So they, they really, it was almost a cut and paste kind of thing, which was, New to the time. It's done now, but yeah. it was different then. George George Martin was very good about razor blade editing. I mean, you just uh you have a good take here. This spot is good in this take here, but I like this spot better from this take. So you just wow. use a razor blade, cut the audio tape, and then tape it together and then run it through. Yeah, uh, wow. I mean, they George had Martin done it on that. They had done it prior to the White Album with um Magical Mystery Tour with Strawberry Fields. That was a famous spliced. It was really two songs that they put together to make one. So that that kind of stuff in the late sixties was that was in its infancy. Okay, Mike, to you do know what I wanna, hey, Anthony, Mike, you know what I noticed about them? There's a lot of songs that started showing way and then take another angle. I was thinking, well, did they start a two song and then they just took the thing from another verse it, and put yeah, it to the set? Yeah, they 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 had different songs or different versions of one song, and they might take, you know, take three and take sixty three, okay, and put them together. All right, and that's that's but how they can, came up with. You can hear that in the White Album a lot. I hate to say that, but you can when you listen to the, the, the song that it go from here to there, you're like, what the fuck? Well, not only not only great, did they do that, they, no, wait, no, it sounds great, but holy shit. Yeah. How the fuck you figure that shit out? <laughs> that's, that's, yeah. I mean, the, you know, the Beatles. I mean, they're just the Beatles. They, they, the, we were watching the documentary. I mean, how did he pull Let It Be out of his ass? Okay. You're just good. watching it. You're like, oh my God, you know. But what, what, um, what they, what they were doing was, was really avant garde in a lot of ways. Okay. And that's do you agree, Anthony? Describe it. Yeah, I, yeah, and, and so, sometimes that was really obvious with stuff like Revolution Number Nine, okay. Uh, but but even in simpler songs, when you do notice that little change, that little break, that little difference, that was that was them doing that too, and and it just it that's the that's the magic of that album, really. I think. Mm -hmm. Let know? me tell you, I think this is a fantastic two um, double album. Uh, like all the song work from Happy Birthday, Revolution, to everything. I mean, this is like it's like um it's like a continuance of great music. Then you want to pick an order, like you listen to this one song, you go to the other song. It's like a great order. I think by the end you're like, what the fuck am I listening to? Because that last <laughs> song, it's like, where am yeah. I? I thought I was tripping on acid, or I was like. How much drugs did I do? Because by the end of the day, this is a new cast. What the hell is going on? <laughs> but this is how 
how great this, like to me, this is one of my favorite Beatles albums because it starts with a journey. You start with the first song by the USAR, The Apartments. You go through, they're taking you on a magical journey. They're taking you almost a journey because every song that they put in the order makes sense. And they all worked on it. Some people worked on themselves, but it's a great fucking comp. Like, like if this was your final work, you fucking accomplished what you wanted to do, and then everybody went their separate ways, which is a great yeah. tribute to what the Beatles did. Well, a lot of my bar customers, when we talk about what our favorite Beatle album was, like we discussed in the beginning of the show, uh, they would always, there was one guy that impressed me because he brought up that with the White Album, that was his all-time desert island album. Uh, yeah. If he was stuck on, you know, that was the you one that he wanted because. <laughs> yeah, he, he described it as having multiple different genres of music. You're not stuck with just rock and roll. No. You got no. blues. You got a little bit of country. You got, you know, and he enjoyed that factor. That and you know the Beatles getting different, uh, taking different directions with different songs, uh, kind of opened it up quite a bit. Very true. Very true. I mean, you you said it in the beginning when you said eclectic. Uh, it, it 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 is very eclectic. You got country, you got blues, bluegrass. Okay, uh, yeah, that was, that you know, was amazed by that so much. Yeah, I mean, and and like even like Obla oh, Dibla Da is like almost like a ska record in a way. Okay, I, love that I read that That's earlier. A, to prepare for this, I read they called that a ska track, and I was like, ska didn't I, exist I, back then. <laughs> well, well, no, it did. Sure it did. Scott Scott yeah, Scott yeah. was Scott was around since the early sixties. Okay. So oh, you know okay. it would morph it would morph it would morph into uh rock yeah, study and then reggae. But, but by the, they had to be aware I, of it. I always I always talk, I always think Scott is reggae. To me, Scott came out a little of different. Reggae. It's a different beat. It's a but different it's beat. Almost, it's almost the same thing. Re it's reggae, reggae, also, reggae came out of Scott. I still think that reggae got it right. I hate Scott music. I love <laughs> reggae music. <laughs> well, that That's that so would actually explain. I actually that would actually explain. I ran into an MP3 years ago of a bootleg of a No Doubt concert, and uh, one of their covers that they did at the end of the show, to, you know, to pay tribute to the people that influenced them, they actually played Obladi Oblada, and oh, I was yeah. like, I, I listen. You listen to it, and I'm like. They nailed it. Yeah, yeah. they did a great Already, job of it. Oh it, it. It's just that it's that beat. It's the same time signature as a ska song. Okay, I, I don't yeah. think of it as a ska song, but it kind of is. Okay, but uh, Anthony, can I tell you? I saw them live. I saw No Doubt in a very small space in New York City live. My ticket was like fifteen dollars, and they fucking <laughs> rocked the roof out of that. And they played everything. It was like this little girl. I said, who the fuck is this bitch? But she rocked it out. By the end of it, I had so much respect for No Doubt. And they did the Beatles. And I had no idea why they did that. But they did a fantastic version of it, which uh, it blew my mind. It's like, holy shit, these guys are really good. It was amazing yeah. to watch it. And it was like, who the hell are these guys? <laughs> no Doubt. The next thing I saw, they got spotted web and all that. Oh my god! I saw these guys in a small venue for fifteen bucks. That's you know, if you live in New York, you saw a lot of bands that you would pay like very little amount of money, but you see this great band. Like I see so many bands for so cheap dollars, and then I see them live. I'm like, holy shit! 
It's amazing. That's what, what? that's what when we had a lot of venues. That's what New York City was. You had Max's Kansas City, you had CBGB, you had so people would just go out and play music. And then years later, you're like, well, I saw this guy for 15 bucks or five bucks. Mike, you know what I'm talking about. It's incredible. Oh, totally. Not, so, so many brands. Like, Fucking rock stars. <laughs> I mean, I I saw I saw Guns N' Roses at CBGB's. All right, so you know, pick it out. And then the Ritz was another spot that would always have up and coming bands. Dude, think about it. We saw the Misfit in Madison Square Garden that people were paying. Well, people were paying nothing, and we went to the Misfit show in Madison Square Garden, and there was twenty fucking thousand fans singing Halloween. Yeah, I know. I know. That was amazing. That was amazing. All right. A lot, so, of, the, a lot of the covers, a lot of yeah. Beatle covers that people do, because uh, in my opinion, you've got to be very careful if you cover a Beatle song because people yes. will scrutinize you. Oh, yeah. Uh, no matter what. That's why uh, most people don't do it. it. Most people don't right. try it. Yeah, it's, it's almost not worth of, it. A lot of the people that I hear do Beatle covers, actually, if I think about it really hard, it, a lot of the covers came from the White Album because, you know, I've heard Billy Joel do back in the USSR. Oh, yeah. Uh, U2 doing uh, Helter Skelter. That that was famously yeah. on their Rattle and Hum album. Remember that, and, yeah. That's actually a great album, the Rattle and Hum album. Yeah. But, yeah, I, maybe just because the album speaks to so many different people instead of uh, just one particular genre. No. Yeah. They, they they pretty much shed the whole bubblegum uh boy band thing. I think they already had, but I think that really pushed it away. That that made it that sure. like, like you said, Rob, in the beginning, that this is like that when they grew up. Okay. Dude, when yeah. that YouTube helped the sculptor, I told the Beatles it's great. But I gotta tell you, YouTube did, did a great job with that fucking song. Especially mm. the, for the movie, that was great, man. Especially Bono, and and I hate to say that I hate Bono, I hate you too, but their rendition, I hope the skeleton was pretty fucking good. <laughs> well, listen, a broken clock is right twice a day, all right? Yes. Anthony, what do you think of that version that you two did? <laughs> I uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, my sister owned the Radnall and Hum uh, vinyl the when it first came out, and she listened to it wow. quite a bit, and... Uh, when they announced, you know, Charlie Manson's took this song and we're taking it back. And yeah. uh, I was I was really young at the time, so I didn't really understand at the time what they were talking about. But I grew up and uh, after hearing a lot of stories and research and stuff like that, I under started to understand. All right. So getting back. OK, we got a long yeah. show here. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to talk, don't want to talk about you two anymore. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, sixteen of the thirty tracks on the album only are the only only feature the whole band. That's how they recorded this. They were they were separate a lot. Um, so really, only half the album is all four of them playing at the same time. Now, one thing they did different too was this was the first time they used an eight track recording system okay wow. um the at abbey road prior to that was a four track but when they started doing these sessions they discovered that there was an eight track sitting around that just hadn't been set up yet so they were somewhat familiar with eight tracks because trident studios had had one uh so they said you got to set this up and anytime there were any changes in the recording studio, the, the 
Abbey Road would give a hard time. They didn't want any changes until like things were experimented with and whatever. But they just said, frick that. We're setting up this new system. We're going to record on this A-track. So at Abbey Road, the very first thing ever recorded on their A-track was was this album. Um, now, yeah, you have to admire that because yes. nowadays, all these bands, they have multiple tracks. I mean, almost endless. 32, and, 64 is nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and they're using all of them, 32, 64 tracks. But the Beatles, when they did Sgt. Pepper, only four tracks. Four tracks. And, 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 and to do all that overdubbing and, I mean, yeah. really, you had to get it right the first time. That was it. It was oh, yeah. impressive, man. It was impressive. Yeah. Yeah. Now, George Martin, I kind of mentioned this before, his influence with the band was starting to wane during this production. So he would be in and out of the studio. He wasn't always there. But he left most of the sessions to his young protege, a guy named Chris Thomas. They kind of put him in charge of the production. Now, the band held their first and only 24-hour recording session at Abbey Road during the final mixing of the album, which was in October of 68. Now, this session was attended by John Lennon, Paul McCartney, and George Martin. Harrison had left on a trip to the U.S., and Ringo was around if they needed him, but he wasn't there, okay? So they, for 24 hours, really, Lennon and McCartney, who could play anything? They, they could play drums. They could play bass. Yeah. Okay, they could play guitar, you know, overdub guitars, things like that. That's what they 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 really only needed to be there. But Martin was was putting the final touches, of course, on it too. Now, unlike most LPs, there was no customary three second gap between the songs. Okay, and when they edited this, the songs segued into each other. And if you listen to it, they do. They 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 kind of. Fade out, yeah, really fade back do, in. Yeah. They they might be a little piece of of music in between for a couple yeah. of seconds, and it goes right into the next song. There's no gap, and that really was. I I don't know if anybody had ever done that before. If they did, it 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 definitely wasn't a well known band like the Beatles. But but uh, I can't think of anybody before the White Album that had done that. That's something that would become popular. With a lot of punk bands, you know, like the Ramones did that, you know, they, they would segue right into the next song. Uh, nobody was really was doing concept that. albums. No, Con there was a lot of concept albums around that time. Like Tommy by 68, and... I guess you're right. Yeah, I guess yeah. you're right. Um, yeah. Alice Cooper would do that in the early 70s. He would segue right into the next one a lot. Um, Anthony, when you listen to like that White Album, like it went from one song to another. It's like they picked the songs in order because this song would go with that song. And like, how many times can you see that? And and as we listen to this album, it moves like it's like a great, it's like a, it's like a river. It's a great flow from. The well, it has to flow. Yeah, from the first right. album. To the second album, it flows. It's just good, and you can listen. To, you can sit down, smoke a joint, and listen to the album, the whole album, both album, and you'll be like, "Wow, is it over already?" Because it seemed like, to me, when I listen to this album, it doesn't seem that long. It's like thirty something songs. Yeah, yeah. The, some uh, some of the uh, the segues between songs worked really well together. I mean, yeah, back in the U.S. Art of Glass Onion. Yes. 
Yeah, uh, but I say right there were, But and, uh, when it goes from, I can't, I don't remember right offhand which song is before, but right before "While My Guitar Gently Weeps," um, it almost seemed like it was just boom right into "While My Guitar Gently Weeps." Yeah, uh, it's and yeah. Right, so happiness is my is is my warm gun. Yeah, happiness is a warm gun. Whoops, now I'm dark. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, while my guitar right. Uh no, Bung- Bungalow Bill goes into while my guitar gently weeps. No, I mean the next song, which is happening since a wall gun. Oh, oh, after after it, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um that and but that you know what that that whole thing where my guitar gently weeps, but then you go to that, it's like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> it's like, yeah. it's gonna be weird. But it's still One fantastic. Of, yeah, it still works. Yeah. Oh yeah, totally does. And the sequencing was perfect. You know, they spent a lot of time trying to figure that out. Now George Martin um said off the bat that he was against making a double album. And he suggested that they make one album of all the the strongest songs that they had, okay? Cuz he felt a lot of things were were kind of like filler. But uh, the band the yeah. band didn't agree and they refused that. And years later Harrison would kind of suggests that maybe that should have happened okay they could have used some of the songs as b-sides or even withheld a few that he felt maybe were a little weak but in the end really you know he supported the double album at the time now Ringo is interesting his comments on it he said that they should have made two albums out of it one called the White Album and one called the Whiter Album. <laughs> I've never heard that's that. Just, that's that's just Ringo. Ringo. That's Ringo being Ringo, you know? Yeah, now, he, he's got all the good jokes. <laughs> and, and here's how I feel about it. I agree with McCartney with this because he's always held firm to the idea it was great the way it is. And his, his quote with it was, listen, it was great. It sold. It's the Bloody Beatles White Album. Shut up. So I kind of, <laughs> I kind of, I kind of agree with him with that. You're not gonna, you're not, you know, fifty years later, you're fifty three years later, you're gonna yeah, look at it and go, Mike. The only reason you agree with that because he was already dead. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> that was his, he was dead for two years already. That was his fucking. Uh, that was the guy that took over his role. Anthony, what do you think about this thing about Paul McCartney dying? This guy Billy, whatever, took over. Billy Prescott, whatever, took over his thing. Have you heard this? That there's uh, two Paul McCartney. Of course, he's heard it. Yeah. The the Paul McCartney is dead is uh, one of the uh, one of the old, one of the most well known urban legends of rock and roll. Yeah. I mean, uh, they've been talking. They said that there was a hint in the Sgt. Pepper album cover. There was oh, a yeah. hint in the Abbey Road cover. There's hints. There's hints on this album. I'll go into that. Okay. Yeah. Now, during these recording sessions, the Beatles began to kind of assert themselves individually as artists, and so they began. The hints about Paul McCartney. Are you going into that? I'm going to go into that in a couple of minutes. They began to find themselves kind of at odds with each other, and uh, recording engineer George Emmerich, who'd been with them since Revolver walked out of these sessions. He says, I can't work with these guys anymore because all they do is bicker back and forth. All right, so, you know, he was annoyed. Now, the White Album sessions also marked the first time that Yoko Ono made an appearance. Um, 
she first showed up during the recording of Revolution Number no. One, and ev- right after that, she was a constant presence for every Beatle recording. After that, okay, any album. Yeah. Now a lot of people uh, they talk about that. I mean, because Yoko, uh, John, and Yoko were they were in the beginning of their new relationship, and so they wanted to be together constantly. Yes. The other guys did understand that, but they were like, she's sitting on my amp. Would would you do something about that? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. And, and I think, I'll be honest with you, I think by the time, what, you know, like in the Get Back documentary would Let It Be, this would be a full year already after, mm-hmm. with this going on constantly, okay? They made the White Album with her around, and then now they're making Let It Be. So in some sense, they were probably used to it, but it when this first happened, this had to be a problem. It, it had to be yeah. right away, you know, like it had to be a huge problem yeah. because like, I think what what, what the main what the main problem was definitely in the beginning, maybe it worked itself out a little bit a year later, but was that with her being there, John and Paul couldn't talk, and John and Paul needed to talk. They needed need to Billy. work out. You need talk. Billy. Billy needed to talk to John, not Paul. Bill. Bill. Oh, oh, shut up. (laughs) The fucking fucking Paul is dead shit. I'm waiting for you to get into that. Well, uh, listen, when I get into the songs, I'll explain how some of these songs have have hints. There's a lot of things that prove that fucking Paul died. Jesus Christ. Is this a conspiracy show or is this a rock show? What is it? That's a lawyer. That's a lawyer that wrote a book about. I know. know, Look, there's there's people that swear that's true. Yeah. Okay. But, you know, I got to. You mentioned uh, John and Yoko. Uh, You brought Yoko uh, into the story, which it's relevant at this point. Uh, One interesting thing that I uh, overheard was that the original concept album that John wanted for the cover of the White Album is both him and Yoko on the cover, stark naked. I mean, no. you know, nothing. You jo- mean John and Yoko, not Paul and Yoko. Just, John and um, yeah, just, John and, John, just and John and Yoko on the cover, just completely naked. And I guess the other guys were like, okay, come on. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's when they would do the Two Virgins album. Okay? That right. would come out, that would come out like, Right before the White Album. But guys, and- I got to talk to you. When I was watching the documentary on Disney Plus, and this fucking Yoko Ono was there all the time. She was to the point that she was opening up mail. I wouldn't be like, bitch, can you go away while we fucking try to play this fucking music? You yeah. know, suck a dick, put a fucking tomato up your ass? But we're trying to talk to each other, right? I got the fuck out of here. And she's just there sitting, opening mail, being a yeah, most you know, for, hey, mm. you know major distraction. Do you know what we did to the That's Japanese? What she was. Yeah. Do you know what we did to the Japanese? Would you like to join them? Go sit over there, you fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> you go in Hiroshima, your ass. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking 
Oh, we know. <laughs> that's the that's the, a Rossi rant in the middle of a rock show. <laughs> but dude, that, she was just there. I would have been like, "Honey, can you leave?" Dude, that's to me. It, that shit. While watching the fucking documentary, that shit fucking rattled me. I would have told this bitch to get the fuck out. It had to what be the distracting. What are you doing there? It, Why nah, are you sitting there? It had to be, look, I mean, by the time they did the documentary, that was a year later, then they were still talking about it. It had to be so hard at the beginning, her being there. But, you know, McCartney's girlfriend was in and out, but she didn't sit there. Linda was showing up. No, 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 no. um, No, not Linda. He wasn't with Linda then. Uh, What's her name? Mary Mary something. I forget her name. But, but, uh, you know, who he was with before Linda was was at the white album sessions but she would just you know be in and out she didn't stick around okay mm-hmm. but look you know it is it, it's it's all in in the history now i mean you know it it i wouldn't want her there but what are you gonna do you know what are yeah. you gonna do? Yeah, that's what you can so, do yeah so anyway um uh, the reason that you know it, I, I said before that Paul and, and John really had to have this open communication and that was kind of messed up because of Yoko being there is because both of them started to dislike each other's songs at this mm-hmm. time. All right. And John was thinking like, you know, Paul, you're just making these like sweet little vanilla bland songs, which I got to hand it to him. He's probably right. And, and, and then, and then, and then, Paul would say, you, you're just making songs that are like deliberately provocative and deliberately not, not you know, unmel- unmelodious, no, no melody at all. Okay. In what you say, you're just screaming or, you know, whatever. Okay. And he, he, I think he was right too. And, and they had to keep that lines of communication so they can come up with something. And that was broken right away with Yoko being there. So, Anyway, on August 20th, uh, Lennon and Ringo Starr were working together on the overdubs for Your Blues. Great track. Uh, They were in in Studio 3 at Abbey Road. And when they were done, they decided to visit Paul McCartney in Studio 2, who was doing uh, Mother Nature's song, which was a very personal song. A very He wrote that whole thing. He's solo on it, basically. That's a great song. And he was working in that studio by himself. Well, something happened because some of the sound engineers recollect that, you know, as soon as they all got together in that studio, the tension, you could cut it with a knife. Okay. And that would carry on for about two days. And uh, at that point on August 22nd, they were recording back in the USSR together. And Ringo, Ringo fucking split. He got pissed off right. because Paul was criticizing his drumming, and he said, "You know, you don't need me. I'm just a side man. You know, get you could do the drums yourself." And he left, and he he left the Beatles in a sense. Okay, yeah, I and, remember, uh, I remember yeah. in the Beatles anthology, he talks about it uh, where he just kind of threw up his hands and he says, "I'm not doing anything. All the other guys are contributing. I'm not doing anything." Yeah, he's and sitting so around. He goes. He goes over to Paul's office and says, look, I don't feel like I'm a part of the band anymore. I'm going to, uh, it's all you guys. I'm just going to leave. And then Paul looks at him and says, I thought it was you. 
And then he goes to John's office and he says the same thing. I don't feel like I'm part of the band. It's all you guys. And then John says, well, I thought it was you three. Yeah. And same thing over with George. Yeah. And that's wow. what caused him to say, forget it. I'm going on holiday. I'll see you when I see you. Well, they, you know, it, it went on for a bit and uh, they pleaded with him to come back. They had some meetings, yeah. you know, he didn't come back, but then finally he agreed to come back. And when he did, uh, by that point, it was into September. And wow. uh, when he came, George had put like all these flowers all over his drum kit, like as a gesture, you know, a nice gesture. And he was receiving, he received tons of telegrams too, saying, please come back. You're the best drummer in rock and roll. Yeah. We yeah. love you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I don't think uh what what I find interesting is I don't think that ever made the press. No, not really. They, they managed they managed to keep that quiet for a couple of weeks, right? Yeah. Mm. Pretty amazing Mike, you think about it. Mike, was this the time where um fucking George Harrison just took it to guitar and said, fuck it, I'm not doing it. No, with this was this was the this was the album before that, a year earlier. So this is yeah. something that was building up. They're always having problems yeah. already. They have yeah. problems. They, the, the White Album was when they started to break up. That's the yeah. That's the way you got to look at it. That's when they started to have problems. If you look at most of the recorded and White Album, none of them did it together. They just did the one song that was together, but most of the songs, they were separated. Yeah, well, that's they didn't yeah. record like that in the past. They, in the past, they all recorded together, and and, you know, that was a difference and it just showed in their their personalities at that point by the time the white album came out i think they all yeah. thought that they all had something to contribute and they all should be heard and but the the relationship really was that lennon and 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 mccartney were the primary songwriters yeah and i think that you know george and ringo i think they had a legitimate beef i mean you look at the stuff that george had going into his solo career, I mean, everything, on he puts out a triple album. I mean, he had a ton of music when he left the yeah. band. And all that stuff. Yeah, when he was with the band, he, yeah, when he was with the yeah. band, he only got one song per side, maybe. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is, well, the the White Album, he's got a few, okay? But yeah. but yeah. you're right. He he was limited. They, they, they didn't take him seriously. So he had a beef, and Ringo too. And, you know, he basically, Ringo was just a solid, drama dependable sat there and took it but by the time this happened he, he was tired of it you know so mm. one difference too is that in the united states um mono records were being phased out and in the 60s you had albums come out in stereo and mono but by 68 mono was starting to be phased out and uh this was the first album to be recorded in stereo and released only that way in the United States, in the United States, right. it was released in mono in other countries. And eventually many years later in 2009, it would get like a, a proper mono release in that famous Beatles in mono box set, which if you ever have about $300, $400 to throw away, you should buy it. Okay. It's definitely yeah. worth it. Uh, I'll tell you why there's, there's only one, one reason. Okay. In the Lemmy documentary, Lemmy from Motorhead, the Lemmy documentary in the very beginning of the movie, he's in a record store going through shit. And then he had, he had it on order, and he goes to pick it up at the counter, and he's looking at it, the Beatles in mono, and he's like, that's the only way to listen to this band. 
And wow, <laughs> I mean, yeah. Do you have to say anything else? Okay, yeah, <laughs> let know. me say so. So, well, all right. Change well, in the record industry. Uh, mm-hmm. Another change in the record industry that I found interesting was yeah. This was also the t- uh, around the time where they stopped uh, releasing other songs as singles. They were just releasing uh, the tracks that were on the main album as singles instead of alternate songs. Uh, wow. uh, you know, I mean, yes. Hey Jude was probably their last official single that wasn't on an album, and yes, they started releasing like back in the USSR, Obladi oh, Oblada, oh, and all those songs as singles. But uh, the record record industry just decided to stop doing that. Well, right it was more of a time. Anthony. It was more of a British thing. Okay, the British oh, felt yeah. that you should never release a single that's on an album. That was like a, a rule almost. If you look at the like, that's why EPs were popular, like with the Kinks and the Beatles and the Stones and stuff. Like they would put other things out, like you're saying. Okay, the United States they did that too, but I think they were uh, they did they did put singles out that were on albums probably before the Brits did that. Wow, you know. Uh, Going yes, back, uh, going back yeah, into yeah. going back into the early '60s when when LPs started to be more important. Uh, right. I, I right. think in America you had more of, and not always because there were a lot of American bands that would put non-album singles out. But I, in my experience with things, I found it was more of a British thing, and then that was actually in the record companies wanted that. They felt yeah. the, the public wouldn't buy it twice. You know what but I mean? But they wouldn't right. buy it twice. It's like there's people that then play the song. Why would you play the same song twice? But Americans did it. You know, the the record would come out on a single, and you go buy the album, and it's also on there too. I mean, probably for the benefit of disc jockeys. <laughs> yeah, probably. That's true. That's true. All right, so let's get into the songs individually here. Okay, we got thirty songs to cover. That's First, an outrage. <laughs> First song, side one, back in the USSR. Okay, great now song. great, great song, song to kick the kick the album off with. Technically, it's like a it's almost a parody of Chuck Berry's "Back in the USA." Um, the backing yeah. vocals by John and Paul are done like Beach Boys style, and in fact, when it was written, uh, Mike Love, okay, while on the trip to India when they wrote the song suggested that they mention girls of the USSR in particular. Okay, so they, <laughs> yeah. they threw that in there. Now, the track was actually bootlegged like crazy in the Soviet Union at the time. The Beatles were banned. from right. the, Their music was not allowed in that country. So, yes, so most, most <laughs> Western acts were banned. So uh, it turned out to be like a huge underground hit anyway. Everybody heard it. Right. You know, uh, the thing that I, uh, I always love is you know that song's coming on because you hear the plane, yes, enter and it, you hear it and, a couple of times in the song, actually. Yeah, and then at the end of the song, it exits, you know, it, it exits. I loved that. <laughs> yes, very cool, very cool. Just That's a cool great. song. That is a um, very cool song. The next track would be Dear Prudence, and I always thought this was a great segue. I think you mentioned that earlier between the two. Um, this was recorded at Trident Studios. It wasn't recorded at Abbey. And uh, the song was about Mia Farrow's sister, Prudence Farrow, 
who was on that transcendental meditation tour and wow. didn't leave her room at all because she was so dedicated to meditation. She didn't leave her room in the hotel. So that's, you know, they wrote that about her. Now, the next track is yeah, Glass Onion. Way, it was John's way to try to coax her out of the tent. I mean, it's a- yeah. I mean, he was probably trying to get in her pants, you know? Yeah, you never know. <laughs> probably. <laughs> I bet anything he was. But Glass Onion is the next track. Glass Onion is the third song. And that was fully completed during Starr's brief departure from the band during that time. Uh, the lyrics, this is what I wanted to mention to you, Rob, okay? The lyrics, wal- you know, the walrus was Paul, okay? Mm-hmm. And then I told you about the fool on the hill, a reference to another <laughs> Beatles song, Okay. They put that in there. Those lyrics were deliberate because they knew that people were looking for messages in their music. So they stuck that in there just to fuck with everybody. Okay. Wow. Yeah. I didn't really. think they would do that, but they, yeah. they did that. I mean, they were hearing about, oh, people looking for <laughs> secret messages in your music. But <laughs> yeah, yeah why next, not? let's give them something. <laughs> give them something, right? So the next track would be Obla D, Obla Da. And that was written by Paul. Okay. And it was kind of an ode to ska music. We talked about this earlier. And the track actually took a long time to complete because Paul wanted it to be absolutely perfect. He was really obsessed with this song. And unfortunately, Lennon hated the song off the bat. John Lennon hated this song. He called it granny music. Okay. Yeah. Or granny music shit, actually, for the right quote. Okay. Um, McCartney loved it so much he wanted it to be a single off the album, but the band said no. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I thought about that and I said, it never was a single. It never was. Yeah, I don't think you it know? was. No, but, no. But it was a single. Even though it didn't sell, it was a single. It became a hit, but it. it because everybody used The radio song, played the shit out of it, song, right? Go down on me. Yeah. Don't let your son go down on me. What are you singing? You're not singing old blood deep like that. You're singing, yeah, what are you singing? Elton <laughs> John, don't let the sun go down on me. Oh, my D, oh, my dad, same rhythm. I don't know. Listen You're lumped up. It. You're lumped up. Like, it's almost like what they did uh, when, um, when Paul McCartney did that one song. Uh, what was it? That he went to court. When uh, George Harrison did that song, he went to that. My oh, Sweet Lord. My Sweet Lord, my sweet oh, Lord. My sweet Lord, yeah. Dude, if you listen to uh, Don't Let the Sun Go On Me and Or oh, I Do Like That, same beat. Okay. Listen to it. I, mm. I, I'm going to... I'm gonna listen to it tonight. I'm gonna try to hear that. How about I meet you? How about I meet you at Docs with Christina? We'll have a few shots and then we'll listen to both songs and we'll figure it out. Not tonight, it's an outrage. <laughs> <laughs> but I do love that song. That's a great I love that yes. song. That's one of my favorite songs on this album. So the next track would be Wild Honey Pie. And that was recorded August 20th, 1968. And it was that's a track that was put together through brief snippets of songs. Yeah. You know, little pieces yeah. of things. And they made one track out of it basically for the, you know, for the album. 
Um, totally sound like that. Like it was like you can. Yeah, I, was I, like, I'll be honest with you. I never liked the song. I'll be honest yeah, with you. I, I, never did. I, I never did. I felt it. I felt it. If anything was close to filler, it was that one. Yeah. You know. Uh, but what are you gonna do? It's a double album. You got to go with it. But I didn't like the, the next song. The continue, I thought that song. The, the, yeah, bung, Bungalow song. Bill is all right. It was now that was written by John Lennon yeah. after. One of the American visitors on that transcendental meditation tour decided to leave to go hunt tigers. Okay, <laughs> he thought that was interesting. So, uh, the, the I want to meditate, but I want to kill <laughs> fucking lions. <lie> <laughs> See, I started noticing on the White Album the lyrics in the last two songs we mentioned: uh, "Wild Honey Pie" and "Continuing Story of Bungalow Bill." Yeah, it started to feel like that they didn't put a lot of thought into the lyrics. It was just, no, no. you know, hey, bungalow built just over and over and over. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. I could see. They just kept I, going in a repertoire. They just I could see how George. I I could see how George Martin would have a problem with that song. You know, it doesn't mm -hmm. seem like it fits. You know, but yeah. They they had a they had a concept with this, you know, and it and it works. Now the next track after, uh, the Bungalow Bill George Mountain had a fucking five and six. He might say, You guys are idiots. You put yeah. these songs on a fucking album? Yeah. What the fuck's wrong? Come on, that's that I'm sure he that's, called him I'm sure he, he called a him a bunch of cunts. I'm sure he did. To use a British people. term. This is one of my favorite songs in the whole album. That yeah. song, How My Guitar, is like one of the most. I played that for Molly because that's that was Molly. Yeah. Yeah. Molly this loved song, that song. To me, this song is one of the best songs on the whole album. As my guitar, like this song is like. When I think it's, Paris, it's when my George top Paris, five. I think it's in the top five best Beatles songs altogether out of anybody, any of them. All the albums. Yeah. And they played this song like, wow. Yeah. This what song are you going to say, Anthony? Oh, what are you saying? Sorry, oh, no problem. Uh, uh, While My Guitar Gently Weaves is pretty much where I thought George Harrison finally came into his own. With <laughs> Absolutely. His Absolutely. I mean, and I mean, the stuff that he did from that point on was just great stuff. Uh, not, I'm not knocking the early stuff, but uh, and, and even uh, the stuff he did on the sitar. I'm not knocking that stuff, but it, that really felt like okay. Now he's become the songwriter. Uh, no, that he absolutely, a hundred ten percent. This is where he got his balls back from fucking, from fucking Paul and fucking John. Fucking George <laughs> said, "Fuck you! I got my balls back. I'm gonna write this song." Well, if you don't like it, go fuck yourself. Let me let me explain. Let me explain a little about the song because I'll I'll uh -oh, prove you right. Yeah. I'll prove you right. Okay. He what happens is that song was written originally while he was visiting his parents one day. Okay. And he recorded an acoustic version of it right away. And I think in July, a good couple of months before they started recording. Now he showed it to the Beatles and they worked on it. And there was a version that came out that kind of like an early version of them doing it that wasn't he wasn't happy with it he said it needs something so he thought about it and he said i'm gonna ask my friend eric clapton to come and play on this song wow. 
Wow. Now, Clapton really was like, I don't know, man. I don't can't. I can't guest yeah. on a on a Beatles album. You know, he couldn't. And and George, and, and this is this is where you're right, Rob, because George says to him that um, basically it, it it's it's not anybody's decision but his because it's his song. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So he he. I don't think I don't think it was ever an issue for. Clapton to be on that, okay? Whatever hesitation there was, it was in Clapton's head, but Harrison reassured him, okay? So he goes and he and he does this amazing guitar track, and they put this automatic, what was called automatic double tracking effect on it, okay? And that's how you get that. The, so, the, the guitar almost sounds like it's weeping, yeah, oh, if, you, if you listen to it, okay. Anthony, and, let me, Anthony and Mike, let me tell you something. Yeah. When you listen to uh, George Harrison solo album, the triple album, there was a bunch of songs there that could have easily be in the white album. Yes or yeah. no? All well, things must pass. Yeah, movie, absolutely. Yeah, you even see in the Let It Be movie, there's a couple songs that he ended up using on All Things yes. Must Pass. Isn't oh, it a yes, pity? Yes. Yeah. Oh my God, you're yeah. right. I, I didn't yeah. even know they that. were working on. They were working on. Isn't it a pity? Yeah, yeah, and that ended up on all things must pass. You're right, but you're right. You're right, Rob. They, you know, he was he got his balls with that song. You know, really, he was gonna like I'm doing it my way. Okay. He he, he needed to because to me, yeah. you know what? Um, Paul was a great songwriter, but the best singing songwriter was. George and he got shitted on because he was George. He just took it, and that's why he was so frustrated with the. It was the Quiet band. Beetle, but didn't last yeah. forever, you know. No, the Quiet mm. Beetle was Ringo. He did whatever the fuck he did. <laughs> he all the way to the bank. That's kind of true. Yeah, yeah. Now, one thing to know is that the guitar that that Clapton used when he was done, and I wish I knew what kind of guitar it was. I I, I don't know. It was a okay. Gibson Les Paul. It wasn't a Les Paul. Okay, good. Thank you. I knew that. He he, he gave that. it. He gave it to Harrison. So wow. it was never. It was never played again on anything, as far as I know. And later on, Harrison named it Lucy. Wow. Okay. So now the next track so the, is a classic. Uh, Go ahead. I'm sorry. More, one more real quick thing about while my guitar gently weeps. Yep. Um, on the anthology album, they did use the acoustic version just to show that you know, show different demos and stuff. Where like it came from, yeah. Doing it, yeah. Um, but I, my, I really appreciated the way they used it on that Cirque du Soleil Beatles Love album, where they used that instead of the original or, or oh, the yeah, white album version. Good. Yeah. Because yes. it it fit better into the, their vision of how the the Beatle music should be used for the show. True. True. But wait up, didn't Eric Clapton and, and George Harrison change wife? <laughs> yes. Yeah, Eric Clapton yeah. Eric Clapton yes. wrote yeah. Layla in uh yeah. in honor of George Harrison's wife. Yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. just yeah. saying yes. guys, let's talk about <laughs> well, <laughs> some shit went on. <laughs> well, I will say this, it was it was the trip to India that changed Harrison's life because he was the only one that stayed with the Buddhism. And it was the Buddhism that allowed him to not lose his fucking mind that his best friend stole his wife. Wow. So there's something to be said for that. He was still with uh, uh, his wife during the Let It Be session. She showed up 
Yeah. There. Yeah. Uh, no, that wasn't but, that was 69. I think the I think the wife I think the wife stealing episode was like early 70s, like 72. Yeah. You're like right, that. You're right. You know, it was after it was after the Beatles. Um, but and it happened over a weekend. It was just he invited Eric over and on a Friday, and I think by Sunday the wife was George, George, George left. George didn't have a wife no more. I mean, that's nuts. But <laughs> that's well, she didn't leave. She left George, but she didn't go directly to Clapton. She no. waited a uh, she, she waited a little a bit. Period, but, as they say. But that, but it was obvious of, what had happened. She went to the rest yeah. of the Beatles before she cheats Eric. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but but it was oh you know it was always the it was really the Buddhism and his his, wow. his discipline his mental discipline that was he was able to to get through that. I don't know how I could, I couldn't get through it. I'd pull a gun on you and fucking shoot you, you know? Well, the way he handled it and he said, I'd rather have her go with my best friend than my worst enemy. It sounded like he'd made peace with it pretty well. Yeah. I think think he did. And they, they remained friends. Yeah. Yeah. Clapton and, and, and and him. Yeah. Anyway. um, Boy, he, he was still friends with her too. So yeah. Yeah. They had a relationship. So, the Stute Clapton could never lose. He would have never dropped that baby if it was back in cocaine and he knew how to take care of your wife. Oh, God. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> we're going, a lot of we're going are down a bad road here. A lot, a lot of people are going <laughs> to shit on me for that comment. <laughs> That's my comment, and it's not yours, and I'm sticking with it. <laughs> All right, so last track on on the on the first album of the double album is happiness is a uh, I'm sorry the first side of the of the album is happiness is a warm gun. Now uh, this kind of evolved from several different song fragments that Lennon compiled into one song. Now it took actually 95 takes to get it right. Yeah. Jesus, and Christ. eventually they took two good takes. And spliced them together. And that's how they got that song. Wow. Now, side two would start with Martha, my dear. And, uh, you know. I love that. I love that song. T- typical McCartney song. He he, yeah. he says he got the title from his sheepdog. But the lyrics yeah. don't really say that. So I don't know what the fuck he's talking about. But, okay. <laughs> All right. Now, yeah, George Martin. Yeah. George Martin put a. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> George Martin had a brass band arrangement for this track. It was a you know big production. Now the next track is "I'm So Tired," and that was this. written during like the India too. trip. Okay, I like this ta- this song too. Uh, it was written during the India trip when John was having trouble sleeping, and it was recorded at the same session that they did "Bungalow Bill." The track ends, now listen, Rob, the track ends with Lennon mumbling, Monsieur, Monsieur, how about another one? Okay, Monsieur, Monsieur, how about another one? This is the thing that if you play backwards, people think it says, Paul is dead, man. Miss him, miss him, miss him. Yeah. Okay, so that's the that's the, the thing with the conspiracy there. Paul is you dead. Know, you know how many times I brought up in the conspiracy theory that I think Paul did die and Vinnie Baxter <laughs> took over? And 
You know, I'll be honest with you. I, I think that's that. like, you know, when we did the flat earth conspiracy shows, we got shit on. I think if we did that, I think we'd get even more shit on. I think, you know I think yeah, there's more crazy. people that believe in flat earth than believe that Paul McCartney's dead, Rob. Hey, we have an expert with us. We can have Anthony on the two Pauls, the life of two Pauls, and I'll bring some questions up. Cause All right. dude, that's a lot of evidence of there's people that has called there's there's people in the in the in show business that they go up to Paul and they call him Billy and he's like shake their head. Only a Paul is called Billy. And for and another thing, Paul's are not older than the rest of them. There's a lot of shit that goes on there. I'm not trying to be a conspiracy. All right, fuck it. I, I am a conspiracy guy. Yes. <laughs> that's a lot of shit that you Hold put it. out there. Own it. I'm gonna own it. And there's another <laughs> thing to put out there that um hey when I talked to Vince Russo, he also thinks that Paul is not Paul, it's this guy Billy that took over his life. Because supposedly Paul died in a terrible accident. Since then we're in America, they replaced him with this other guy that looks just like him. That's all it is. Yeah. How wow. true it is? That's... I don't know, but we can talk about this books about it. We can read huh? you know, we can go like we could, you want to go to the rabbit hole, all three of us? We, it, we could. We could get really fucked. And people be like, these guys are lunatics. Yeah, bring, bring a big bottle with us. We'll get right down that rabbit hole. <laughs> all right, yeah. let's go to every the Every time next I song. hear about the, the whole, every time I hear about the whole Paul McCartney uh, conspiracy that he's dead the whole time, I, I think of the Saturday Night Live sketch with Chris Farley where he's sitting interviewing Paul yeah. McCartney and he's, uh, he's like, so you remember that rumor when you were dead? And Paul's like, yeah, I remember that. And he goes, uh, is it true? Is and it Paul true? Goes, no, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure I'd remember that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. True. But Anthony, how about when they did the Abbott Road, where they passed it on the street and he has no shoes? They did a lot of things to play with the conspiracy. They did it on purpose. They did it. They did yeah, it to bust people's balls. And I love that. Yeah. I, I mean, it's great, you know? Uh, Paul McCartney, there's alternate pictures of the uh, that I've seen of Abbey Road where he was actually wearing sandals. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that one that. particular time he decided to walk across the street, he decided to take them off. Yeah, but they, 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 there was a, the reason they did that is because there's something about being buried with no shoes on or something. I forget if that's a Buddhist thing or what. what is that? There was some reason that they, they had him. It was something to do with being buried with no shoes on. I so, to play with everybody I thinking that he's dead. That. Yeah, oh, I think they just took it. They're like, "Fuck it!" They think he's dead to shoot a cover. And they were just messing. With, they were messing with people. That's all. Why not mess yeah. with people? Why not? Why not? Now, anyway, the next track is called "Blackbird." That's a famous track off this album. I, I love, I just, McCartney. I uh, McCartney's basically solo playing an acoustic guitar. Yeah, you can hear a ticking in the background. Okay, of that song, and um. It was always assumed to be a metronome. That oh, was, that what it was? Uh, yeah. But if you ask Emmerich, the uh, the sound engineer, he says they got that sound because he miked Paul's feet. Oh shit! Okay, he miked right next to his foot, so it could be his shoe tapping. Tapping, yeah. okay, and I don't know. To me, it's he'd have to have a pretty steady tap. You know, it sounds nah. like, sounds more and like that, a metronome, but I don't know. It could be. It, could be. Yeah, you're right. It sounded like a machine because that tap is yeah. like constant. It's like tap, 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 tap. What do you tap, What do you think, Ed? If you get on YouTube, you can actually find the footage of him playing and recording that song, and his oh. foot is tapping 
Yeah. Uh, you know, left, left foot, right foot, left foot. Yeah. Uh, wow. I play that song personally, and I have a hard time tapping my foot and trying to remember what chord to play. Uh, interestingly enough, if you ask any guitar store owner, that is one of the most overplayed songs that everybody comes in and plays. They pick up an acoustic guitar and they'll play yeah. Blackbird, and wow. everybody plays yeah. it. The standard kind of thing. Yeah. Wow. Next wow. track Not is called. Fairway, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Next track is called Piggies, and that was written by George Harrison kind of as an attack on greed and materialism in society. Uh, actually, John Lennon and George's mother contributed some lyrics to that song. Okay. No, really. And Chris Thomas plays the, the harpsichord, and Lennon does all the pig grunting towards the end that you hear the pig, <laughs> pig noises. Great. Now, next track is, is Rocky Raccoon. Uh, I, I actually... I actually I hate this song. No, I, I, I I'm not with you. Rob. This song. I hate I Rocky think, Raccoon. Do you I like Rocky Raccoon, Anthony? It, it can't starts be. off interesting. Uh, I mean, he's. It sounds like he's kind of mumbling like an old yeah. timey story over the guitar. Yes. Yeah. But then he, then he just talks about Rocky Raccoon finding a Gideon's Bible. You know, what I mean, it's it just too many times. Yeah, it's, the Gideon's it's, Bible is yeah, it's like the Gideon's I, Bible. I, I've always listened to this song because whenever I listen to the White Album, for some reason, I tend to listen to the whole thing from beginning to end. And when I get yeah. to this, I'm always like, all right, let me go take a piss. Because it's like Rocky, <laughs> Rocky, I don't know. It's just not, I don't know. It, it Mike, never moved Mike, me. Mike, I'm going to change your mind right now. When you okay. think of Rocky Raccoon for the Guardians of the Galaxy and Rocky Raccoon... <laughs> I can't argue with that. <laughs> I cannot you know, argue with that. That motherfucker need a Bible more than anybody else. Damn. It's, raccoon, it's a total lunatic. It's taking people's arm, people's leg. This raccoon is fucked up. Now, Rocky Raccoon, Rocky Raccoon. <laughs> the, the, the Rocky Raccoon song actually came out of a jam session between yeah. McCartney, yeah. John Lennon, and Donovan when they were in Rishikesh on that Indian trip. Um, the song was taped in one single session when they recorded it. George Martin hated this song. He felt mm -hmm. that it was total filler. And should be left out, and they said "fuck you." So, dude, they had to yeah. be fucking high as fuck to sing this song. Oh, I, I guess. Bible, these motherfuckers are fucked up with this. <laughs> dude, dude this is like another one of those. Atlantic City, like the Bible's in the fucking thing. What are you saying, Anthony? Good. This is another one of those songs where I didn't think that they were really trying hard lyrically, but for some reason, that break in the middle where they uh, there's that uh, solo is yeah. very refreshing and it feels good it's uh, fantastic but, right. but then it goes back to gideon's bible yeah, yeah. yeah it's just yeah you know anyway but it, it's not it, it, you're right if you if exactly. you are right i love that whole little solo yeah it go to the bible <laughs> now if you don't like the song if you're like me and you don't like the song that much it's not total torture because the next song is don't pass me by which is a great Ringo's big moment Ringo's big <laughs> it was actually his first composition for the band 
Which, right. I, I, which I, I didn't know that until I was doing the research for the show tonight. He started. Yeah. He got everybody high and took the lyrics and put yep. them together. Yep. Yep. Ringo was he was drunk. It was a. Ringo was <laughs> up, it was originally Ringo was called. For the ride. It was originally called Ringo's Tune. All right, they would change it, but Martin tried. Ma, Ma, George Martin almost screwed up the song because he composed this kind of like orchestral intro to the song. And they were just like, no, it, this doesn't work, okay? So they got jazz musician Jack Fallon to play that fiddle part, okay? It's, it's the bluegrass, bluegrass kind of part. And uh, I think it's it's a, it's definitely one of the best songs on the album, you know, and, and totally different from any genre they did, you know? I you think. Know, the th interesting thing about it was, uh, back uh, in the early days of the Beatles, they were giving uh, George and Ringo an opportunity to put at least one song per side. But Ringo, yeah. that was the only song that he he had had "Don't Pass Me By" since their second album. Yeah, it was uh, around. I don't know whether I don't know if whether it got kept pushed pushed back or Ringo said it's not ready yet or what. I don't, but it wasn't used until the White Album. Wow, I did not. I did it not became. Know it be, yeah, so I think he had it since like around 63. And, yeah. you know, it was in different forms. Okay, but the, I guess lyrically he had it or whatever. But, you know, the, the way it came out as almost like a a bluegrass kind of song, I think was was perfect. Okay, right where it was in the album fit. But I think it's fantastic. It's a the, great song. It's a great now, thing. The next great. track is one of my favorites off the album too. It's called Why Don't We Do It in the Road. And <laughs> yeah. it was written by Paul in India after he saw two monkeys fucking in the road. Okay. <laughs> and he and he thought and he thought, well, how come people are so civilized they can't do that? <laughs> I so, guess he never I guess he never watched Planet of the Apes. <laughs> <laughs> That yeah, came out. Well, the, that him. came out the same year as the White <laughs> Album. But, you have to admire him. Though, all of a sudden, <laughs> you, you know, you have to admire a songwriter to you know see two monkeys fucking in the middle of the road and thinking, "I got an idea for a song." <laughs> that's a great idea. Okay, he probably was. He probably was smoking a little bit. He was a little high. He saw it. You know. Yeah, now Lennon, nice. Lennon loved this track. Okay, and he 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 thought that Paul was kind of making a song in his style, in Lennon's style. Okay, and he he wanted to play on it, but Paul wouldn't let him play on that song. And it turned out there was there was a method to his madness. He said it was a tit for tat thing. Okay, because they didn't wow. put Paul on Revolution Number Nine. Oh yeah, but but Revolution Number Nine. Is not really even a song. Like I wouldn't care if I was on that or not. You know what I mean? It's it's yeah. it I, to to pick that one to be mad about makes no sense. But anyway, the next track is called "I Will," and that was written by Paul McCartney with, uh, and it's 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 recorded with John Lennon and Ringo Starr, particularly doing percussion and stuff like that. It's a beautiful ballad. I that will. I like yeah. I like the Julia song and uh Julia's Julia's a very haunting kind of song by John. It is, it is and it was haunting, the, yeah. the last track that they worked on for the album. And it features John on acoustic guitar, but 
This is the only Beatles song he ever performed alone wow. on a recording. Mm -hmm. Okay. And uh, obviously, it's a tribute to his mother, Julia, who died in a road accident. Uh, was it a car accident or she was hit by a car? What was the story with that? I don't I know the story behind that. Think she, I, I don't I know if she was it. driving or she was hit by a car. I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know the whole story behind that. Yeah, I yeah. He was only that. he was only like seventeen when that happened. Like I don't even think he had the the quarrymen weren't even together then. You know, it was like before he really got started. But this uh, is such a such a great song. Yeah, yeah, great. And, and, and if you listen to, I had a I had a mixtape a thousand years ago that I made, and I I recorded Julia with Mother as the next song by John wow. Lennon, mm. okay? And, you know, if it don't bring a tear to your eye, you got no fucking soul. You know what I mean? Because, <laughs> you know, Julia is like, he's he's this singing about his mother, you know, like I miss you kind of thing. But Mother, he's complaining about the relationship. You know, he can't, he can't get yeah. used to it, you know. And then he complains about his father, you know, in that song too. And it's like, that's a powerful song. The two back to back are like amazing. But, it wasn't like mm. dancing, mother. No, it wasn't like dancing. No, <laughs> <laughs> no yeah. No, Dan dancing didn't. But dance. he scream, but he screams a lot. But you don't sound yeah. like evil Elvis, like like dancing. Yeah. <laughs> <You know. laughs> evil Elvis, okay, I like that. Yeah. Birthday birthday starts outside three. Okay. You want to hear something funny? Since yeah. Disney, since Disney song from people that sing Happy Birthday, Happy Birthday, Happy Birthday, the Beatles' birthday song is the most popular song to use by plates because they didn't cop, they they don't really enforce the copyright law. Please really? No. Sing Happy Birthday. Uh, oh, using Happy Birthday, using that uh, traditional Happy Birthday song is incredibly expensive to use in a movie or TV show. Uh, I really didn't know that, but, but you can use the Beatles yeah. or you can use Happy Birthday. So you're saying if you if you sing Happy Birthday in a movie, you got to pay somebody for that? Yes. Big money. It came out yeah. huge. Big Who money. owns it? I don't know, but there uh, was a whole I, thing. Who's that dickhead? Yeah, it, it it became public domain, I think, in 2010, or, yes. but the family that owns it is cur uh, still fighting in court to keep the rights to it. Yeah, but if you use the Beatles' birthday, you still got to pay the Beatles. It, you still got to pay Sony or it's the a Beatles. Lot less. But it's a lot yeah. less but it's a little bit less. <laughs> That's amazing. I did not know that. Wow. But what's interesting about this move, this uh, song, is that it was written by Lennon and McCartney together. They recorded it and wrote it in one night. Okay, mm -hmm. during the sessions. And uh, it was inspired by them watching The Girl Can't Help It on TV, which was a movie with Little Richard and stuff like, uh, you know, um, what was her name? Jane Mansfield and stuff like that in that movie. And uh, he tried to, McCartney sings the the vocal. He tries to sound a little bit like Little Richard, which he does a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> and But I don't know if you know this, Yoko Ono, and Patty Harrison, okay, uh, George's wife, they're on backing vocals. That I didn't know. 
I, I I never heard them on it. I never I heard. I didn't know that either. Yeah. I did not. I did not. Thank know God either. they put Yoko back in the mix. Otherwise, it would suck. Other, I'm glad she wasn't just screaming like, inherently. Oh, just, yeah. <laughs> she wasn't up front yodeling or something like she does. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> the next song is called Your Blues. Okay. Great track. And that was Great. written yeah. in uh, in India by John Lennon. Now, despite his meditating and the tranquil atmosphere that they had in India, he still felt unhappy. It's a kind of a sad song in a way. Uh, he wrote it in the style of like uh, a lot of British blues acts of the day, like Cream and uh, yeah. Jeff Beck, uh, early Fleetwood Mac, that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, it, it's... Yeah. I'm trying to remember now in the, in the Rolling Stones rock and roll circus, they do it, right? Doesn't John do uh, it? I, I think you're right. Yeah. But it, but it's with, uh, who's in that band. It's that Clapton, big Mitch Mitchell. Clapton, uh, Mitch, right. Yeah. Um, that's the, dir there. the dirty Mac band, right? The dirty Mac. The dirty Mac. Yeah. Yeah. That's such an amazing performance. Uh, yeah. And, 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 what you know if you're a, if you're a Jethro Tull fan or if you're a Black Sabbath fan uh it's interesting because you see Tull with Tony Iommi in the mm -hmm. band and it was the only time that he had left Black Sabbath for a second and joined Jethro Tull yeah. and they recorded this uh you know rock and roll circus album and uh, uh record movie really movie and it it never gets released you know, so I I never knew that about Iomi until it finally came out years years later. You yeah, know? I never knew that. But and and of course the the Lennon stuff is amazing too. Now the next track after your blues is uh, Mother Nature's Son. That was written by Paul, also on that India trip, and it it was a very personal song. He he was alone on this track. Uh, he performed it alone, and George Martin did the the brass arrangements on it. Uh, yeah. I'd love to ask Paul about that song. You know, if I ever was to meet him, you know, like what were you mm -hmm. thinking with that track? You know, but he he didn't let anybody really get close to it. That was that was his song. You know, and Mike, why do you yeah. think they all did separate songs? Was 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 this like the breaking up album? Yeah, this was this. Well, like we it's said earlier, this was the, the like we said earlier, this was the beginning of the end of the Beatles, the White Album. Yeah. You know, uh, a lot of uh. A lot of bands go through that sort of thing where they kind of want to do their own thing, at, if at least for a few minutes. I mean, yeah. Uh, most famously, like Kiss, they uh, they all decided we want to do our own thing, so they all made their own Kiss albums with their own faces. Oh yeah, on full it. album. But and, what? The, yeah, or, and 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 you know, we did a show about that, and uh, it, it was very unique in the sense that, and the, Paul Stanley just turned seventy recently, so happy birthday to him. But uh, it, it it was very unique because they're really not solo albums. They're done under Kiss. Okay, the Kiss mm -hmm. the Kiss logo is in the corner. Okay, it's yeah. just this is the Ace album and this is the Peter Chris album, Gene and Paul. But you know, it, it's a solo album done within the confines of the band. I guess and that's that. I don't think that's ever been but, done. You know what the problem? I think the Ace album was the best album. 
well, we know that everybody yeah, says that. that's, that's <laughs> you can you I, you know everybody says that it's it's what comes after that that we all argue about. <laughs> it's like, let me tell you, it's like today if you look at it, Paul McCartney and George were the best Beatles songwriters. Like it or not, John Paul, and great, jo- Paul and George or Paul and Paul John. And, Paul and George. Because I think George's album was much more superior than John's album. I hate to say that. Um, John had a great album. Well, Rob, I if mean, you... George had a great album. Yeah. John did, John did a fucking Comments This Manifesto, the whole Imagine album. With a fuck, fuck Yeah, I know. Album. I, 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 but I, if, I can within... sit on an album, and Paul McCartney had a great career. I, I, think, I, think, George, George... I think George had the best... Beatles solo record, okay. But with all the past, Paul, Paul but, McCartney lived longer and had most songs. <laughs> well, uh, Ringo's, yeah. uh, Ringo's song, uh, Back Off Boogaloo, actually charted higher than any of their songs. That's oh, yeah. actually he true. Did. Yes, that, he had the biggest hit. Yeah. He had the biggest hit. Uh, well, you know what? Because Ringo, dude, Ringo didn't give a fuck. Ringo was there for the ride. Ringo had the best life yeah. ever. He was, you like, know what? You- you know what's it's a great song? You, think of Ringo. you know what's a great song that that I mean, you talk about Beatles solo records, and and I don't think I've ever listened to this song without cranking it up, and that's it. Don't come easy. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, it's just such a it's just such a cool pop record, you know, and yeah. and and it's kind of like Phil Spector ish in a way, and and you know, it's just a great track. Um, I I saw him do it. About twenty years ago, like his all star band was playing uh uh Jones Beach and I went and he did that and uh I mean it was amazing amazing yeah. live, you know. You know. But yeah. I, I you know, Rob, what you were saying about, about you kinda left John out, I get it as far as solo stuff, but within the confines of the Beatles, John was better than George. Because George wasn't allowed to put out that shit, it would have been it would have been different had he put him out, put stuff out. But he was but he why, was restricted. But, but why couldn't he? Because he was under because he it Paul, it, it just John, it was John and Paul were the main songwriters. But the, but the problem um, is, if we would have put a lot of George stuff there, it would have been as good as that because there's a lot of egos in this band. All right, yeah. that's yeah. that's that's what it really came down to, and. Uh, you know, I don't look. Paul's my Paul's my least favorite Beatle, okay. But I'm not going to say that he's my least favorite songwriter in the band. Yeah, I'm not going to say no, that. Paul, okay? Paul had because I mean, you song. couldn't have had the Beatles. You couldn't have had any of those songs without Paul. You know, really. Let's see. One thing when it comes to them being separate, writing their own songs, and not splitting up as the Beatles. Yeah, uh, I think. Uh, it, you know, it might have been interesting uh, back then uh, uh, after the White Album that they did do uh, four separate albums that they all put out by themselves, kind of like the way Kiss did. Because, yeah. uh, like, Phil, Phil Collins actually made an interesting point when he said all of a sudden mo- he woke up one day and started writing all these songs and thought, these are too personal to use with Genesis. I want to do this on my own. Yeah. And it's kind of the way, kind of the way George did it in the Let It Be movie where he's just like, I just want to release my own record and see if I can do it. You know, and I he just did want to see what happens. Yeah. And he did it, and and I'll I'll take it to my grave. Nobody topped that record. 
They're the three guys. They're the three guys. Nobody topped all things must pass. And that's a great. I to me, you know, the best single Beatles album ever. I think George took out the best album because he put yeah, and 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 it was to me, it's a perfect. It's a perfect. No, we froze. Hello, 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 hello. Anthony, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. What happened you... to Mike? Did we lose Mike? <laughs> I guess. Uh, Hold on, let me somebody see. jiggle the handle. Uh. <laughs> Maybe one of the kids got on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, no, I always love Georgia's stuff. Hold on, let me send him the link. Oh yeah, we wait on. Hold on, I'll send him the link real quick. Give me a second. Uh, bada bing, bada boom. And I got to thank you, Anthony. Thank you for coming back on the show, man. Hey, this is a lot of fun, man. I appreciate it. I hope you don't think we're badging each other too much because we do fuck with each other on this show. And, uh, no, it's hilarious. It's definitely hilarious. Now, Mike, you know what? Okay, I got to I... tell you. Hold on. I'm getting, I'm sending him. Oh, did he get back on? No, uh, he's off completely, and you're coming back into the picture uh, now. He, he's, you, oh, I got, hold on, I got him back. Fuck. There he is. What happened? <laughs> you were about to make, make this incredible point. I, I, I was, I don't remember what it was. Okay. <laughs> no, 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 okay, I remember now. I, was, what, I remember now. Hold on, don't, don't fuck me up here. I was saying that All Things Must Pass is, is, is a perfect record from, all three, all three sides of it, all three albums of it, and the production, the Phil Spector production. Uh, maybe that doesn't get enough credit. I, I, I really think it deserves to. But uh, it, it was the best solo album. But within the Beatles themselves, it's Paul and John. I can't, I can't say any. I can't include George in that. And I love George, and he, in his contributions hey, to the Beatles, were great. Fuck you. George, George was with the Traveling Wilbury. Look, George, George is my favorite Beatle. <laughs> but you can't. George contributed like you know, like eight songs to the fucking Beatles. You know what I mean? Like what, what, what can you, you know, you can't say it's not John. You know what I mean? You, you wouldn't think about a George like that if he would have sang with Michael Jackson. <laughs> say, say, say. Fuck Michael Jackson. He took all his fucking rights. From the oh fuck that shit, you know. You speaking know of Michael Jackson, what the, you know what's the best that? Michael Roman fucking Party. Jackson song? The best Michael Jackson song is Ben. All right, I was watching that movie the other day. It's on fucking Fire Stick on my Pluto TV on demand. I was watching it. I haven't seen this movie since I'm like 15 years old. I'm like, Why is it Ben? Where he bend the kids over? No, it's not Ben. Oh, 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 I'm sorry. It's Ben. <laughs> like, like Benjamin. It's Ben. Hey, okay. It's about a rat. It's about a rat. It's about his pet rat that makes an army of rats that attack people in Los Angeles. It's fucking great. And Michael Jackson has the, the, the theme song. And it's called Ben. It's a song about a rat. <laughs> that's a Listen, we're we're way off topic here. Let's get back to the fucking dude. All right. You know what was sick when you when Paul McCartney sang "Say Say Say" 
when Michael Jackson and his sister was his girlfriend. How fucking sick was that? They were yeah. playing games with drugs yeah. back then. And that. you know they did that. They did that song together, and not too long after, he stole all the rights to the Beatles records. Yeah, what the you know, fuck right was from that them. About? They had a big falling out with that. that. that they had crazy. a big falling out. I know. Well, getting uh, getting the copyright uh, uh, copyright stuff for any song is actually really easy. All you have to do is ask for it and have the money available. I mean, right. uh, Paul McCartney owns the rights to "That'll Be the Day" by Buddy Holly. And uh, I'm sure he gets paid for that. But Michael Jackson mostly, or Michael Jackson's estate still owns some of the Beatles songs, or uh, some of the parts of the Beatles songs. Paul yeah. McCartney owns some of the parts of the Beatles songs. But Sony owns the mechanical rights. Right. So if anybody wants to play a Beatles song, but not uh, not play the, the Beatles song, you got to pay Sony. But if you want to play the actual Beatles song, like if you wanted to put I'm 64 or when I'm 64 in one of your movies and you want to use the original Beatles version, you got to pay a lot of people. Yeah. But, but you could, what if, uh, what if, what if you want to, what if you just have somebody sing it? Yeah. Once again, that go, uh, that the, you'd be paying Sony. You pay Sony um, for the mechanical rights. Yeah. Mechanical rights. Yeah. I got the you. Mechanical I got rights you. are just so, you, so you can play the song. Okay. Uh, or so somebody can play the song. Okay. But so the let's. Mechanical get... rights are a lot cheaper than like when you got to pay everybody else. Right. 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 That's why well, you see people like uh, it was a telephone commercial years ago where they used a song, the song Help. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. I uh, remember that. And uh, it was cheaper. Uh, Sony had just acquired the mechanical rights and it was cheaper for them to use another band to play the song then use it the actually Beatles the original Beatles. version yeah yeah wow. wow wow that's why you don't hear too many Beatles songs in movies yeah, yeah. and the Beatles yeah. actually uh put down uh put it down really hard uh well but we'll talk about that when we get to revolution one yeah there's, oh yeah the, revolution there's a big deal that goes along yeah. oh yeah yeah we'll talk about that now the next track after mother's nature's son on side three was everybody's got something to hide except me and my monkey okay great title <laughs> And that evolved from kind of like a, a jam session. And George Harrison claims that it's kind of based on an expression that the Maharishi used to say. Okay, something about everybody's got something to hide, something like that. Okay. Sexy Sadie. Now, you wouldn't song. know this, but this song is actually about the Maharishi also. Yeah. But John wrote it, and it was originally called Maharishi. But he changed it to Sexy Sadie, and uh, basically he, you know, he he said it was the inspiration for the song, but he decided to just change the name to Sexy Sadie. Okay, yeah. wow. all right. I, th I think it evolved from like a nickname he called the Maharishi or something like that. Something <laughs> like that, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, just real briefly, that whole Maharishi thing, it it it, it fell apart when they were there because, uh. I think by the time they, they, they all left at different times, they, they never finished it. Okay. Mm. The whole trip. And uh, I think John and well, George was the last to leave, I think. And he stayed with it, but uh, John and Paul and, and Ringo left before Ringo left first because he couldn't stand the food. Yeah. Okay, the yeah. fucking the Indian that. food was killing him. All right. So he, uh, he left first and then, and then Paul left and then John, and uh, John left because supposedly there was a rumor, and it was never 
found out to be true. It was never based on fact that the Maharishi was like fucking around with some of the girls that I were that on the, but 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 like wow. people say no, that never happened. So yeah. who knows? Wow. Okay. I've heard two different two different reasons why they left the Maharishi. One of them was uh, that he was just in it to get laid. Uh, and the other reason was because uh, Brian Epstein died, and they they need to get back. They needed to get back. Yeah, that probably created a te- you know a little bit wow. of a urgency there oh, to really? get. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I get it. I see that. That's true. That happened at that time. Now the next track is, oh, I it could be my f- you know after 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 while my guitar gently weeps it's probably my favorite song and that's Helter Skelter. This is a great, great, um, great, great song. Now it was written by McCartney originally, almost as a blues kind of song, though it got heavier as they were working on it. And the original takes were kind of like long jams, and they couldn't really. They they said this song is going to be like fifteen minutes long. We we got to find a way to wow. cut it down. So mm-hmm. in September they worked out a shorter version of the song. And uh, but even in, even in the short version, you could pick up on the the kind of chaos of the recording of it. Uh, yeah. George Harrison supposedly, I think this is hilarious. He supposedly was running around the studio when they were recording this with a flaming ashtray on his head, and he was saying <laughs> how he was trying. He was trying to tell everybody he was crazy, uh, you know, Arthur Brown, like Arthur, yeah. crazy world of Arthur Brown with the fucking thing on fire on his head. Okay. <laughs> and then at the end of the track, you, of course, you got Lennon saying, like, I got blisters on my fingers at the end of the song. You know, that was actually Ringo. Ringo said that. No, no, John says it. You know, really? Uh, yeah, it was Ringo. No, no it's John. Are you sure? I, I, I read it on Wikipedia oh. earlier today, truthfully. <laughs> oh, okay. I stand corrected if that's the case. I, I well, always thought it we was know John. Everything on the internet's everything on the internet's true, right? <laughs> well, I, I I always I thought it was I always thought it was John uh, even before Wikipedia. <laughs> so I don't know. I thought yeah, I actually I, thought I it was John for the longest time also. Okay. Okay. Now this is the track. This is the track, Rob, that Charles Manson interpreted in a different way. Yeah. Uh, 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 you know, what he didn't know is that Helter Skelter is like a British kind of slang word for a slide on a playground. Yeah. 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 Okay. And he thought it meant like, you know, like a something to do with hell or, or the apocalypse yeah. or something like that. Yeah. And he felt that actually. Charles Manson yeah. actually believed that the Beatles were the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And, yes. That's right. Uh, yes, and Helter Skelter was their battle cry, you know. Right. And he believed that there was hidden messages on this album. Piggies, for instance, okay, was mm. was a, another hidden message. He felt that the Beatles were talking to him, okay, telling him mm. to start a race war, an apocalyptic war, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. So the next track is called Long, 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 and it's it's a Harrison song. It's kind of based on Bob Dylan's Sad-Eyed Lady of the Lowlands. Yeah. Uh, the song is kind of like about a reconciliation with God. All right, that's the way it's kind of translated. Uh, McCartney plays what's called a Hammond organ on that song. The next uh, side is side four, the last side. Yeah. And we got revolution number one. Now, 
This was Fantastic. the first track recorded for the album. All right. Mm -hmm. Worked on this first. And initially it was being recorded for a single, but as the sessions went on, the song kind of changed a little bit and it got a little slower. Okay. And they decided it had more of like a laid back kind of groove. They didn't want to make it a single. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, interestingly enough, and you, you mentioned Hey Jude, okay, earlier on in the show. Uh, hey Jude was released as a single after the White Album. It was actually worked on during those sessions. Yeah. And yeah. they put on the B-side a version of Revolution Number no. 1. And this is, this, is the, this is the version you hear all the time. Okay, right. um, it's got that kind of distorted guitar. Yeah. There's that there's that echo on the bass, which I I mean, uh, echo on the drums that I swear kicks off glam rock. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay, uh, like maybe like maybe like two years early. Okay, but it 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 it, it, it kicks off it, that that sound of that drum in Revolution is the basis of you know. Ziggy Stardust, Gary Glitter, T Rex, oh, yeah. a lot of that stuff. Yeah. Okay, that boom, that's that echo drum effect. I don't know what it is, yeah. but it works. But um, that's the version of that everybody knows. It has the Nicky Hopkins on piano, but the version on the White Album is kind of like a slower, more yeah. relaxed version. You know, what were you going to say earlier about Revolution? Well, Revolution, I mean, it ran into, uh, we were talking about copyright at the time. And I back in the 80s, Nike ran into trouble uh, because they used Revolution number one for one of their commercials. I remember that. And, oh, I remember and that. immediately, immediately, Apple Corps and the Beatles went after them saying, hey, hey, hey that's our song. We're going to sue you for using it. Right. But not only did uh, they, uh, once the uh, the Beatles Corporation got, Paid for the use of, uh, the illegal usage of that song because they never got permission. Yeah. They also had to pay Michael Jackson a half a million dollars uh, for wow. his part of the rights to that song. Yeah. Holy but, shit. So they and, had to pay but, everybody. Yeah. Uh, wow. So Nike lost out big on that marketing campaign. But uh, yeah, I mean, I another interesting. When Coca Cola used. Use uh, a song. Did it? Didn't Coca-Cola use a Beatles song? I, like I don't to think get they the ever did. I don't, I don't recall that. That's not a Beatles song. I like to give the world. No, no, no. You know what you're thinking of? Is the 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 song. It's like I'd like to buy the world a Coke and keep yeah, well, it company. It's not a. It's that's a song they made up. That's a song yeah. they made up. Wasn't that John Lennon's song or something no. that they did? No, no, that's just somebody. No, it's somebody just wrote that song for the commercial. That's not a song by anybody but else. I, I always thought that song was like a Beatle ripoff. Maybe you thought it was like Imagine or something. No, it's it was it's like scary. Imagine. So I thought that might have been. That might have been. They might have had it in mind, but it doesn't really sound like it that much. You know, yeah. they could. They, they, it wasn't a copyright issue. That's but for sure. Revolution, yeah. I remember Revolution was a problem because there was like a huge problem when Revolution came yeah. out. And they made a very paid. cool. Uh, they made a very cool promo video for Revolution Number One too. If you ever seen yeah. it, yeah, yeah, very cool. You know, but um, uh, another interesting thing about Revolution Number One is because uh, they John Lennon wrote it because 
the Black Panthers came up to him and asked him, will you write a song that uh, will help us with our yes. uh, re- uh, with our revolution and, you know, help us with our cause and stuff like that. And John Lennon at first was all for it until he found out what some of the things that the Black Panthers did were about. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And then the lyric, if you listen to the lyrics, it's almost the antithesis. It's, exactly. it's sarcastic. It, 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 yeah. it is, it is almost like, because when he says, you know, um, if you want to have pictures, if you want to have pictures of chairman Mao, you know, whatever, you make it with anyone. You're going to make it, you're going to make it with anyone. Anyhow, meaning like, you're not going to get anywhere with that. Okay. Yeah. Or you might, or he wow. might've meant you ain't going to get laid. Okay. It might've yeah. meant that too. Okay. Yeah. But, but you know, he was, he was saying like, cause at the time it was very popular for the hippies to be walking around with a little, a little red book in their pocket of the chairman Mao. Okay. Mm. And yeah. that was, that was, everybody was talking about that, that, that time, but he wasn't for that. He, Lenin, you know, the, the politic, I don't want to get into it, but the politics with Lenin, is is very very interesting and i wish yeah somebody would would write like a real kind of definitive thing how he evolved over the years politically yeah. you know but you could see it in 68 he he wasn't totally buying into that shit either look yeah. let me tell you this is a problem with that man he fights so hard to be with a country and once he became a citizen he shitted on vietnam soldiers and people he pissed did- over him he was he against the know. war, but he didn't do anything to the soldiers that I've ever heard. No, but again, Not he, that I've heard shitted on, he shitted on the whole war. He shitted on the whole Vietnam. No. So a guy that fought so hard to be a citizen, you know what? You could easily pick up your shit and go back where you came from, you idiot. And take yeah, your it's, 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 Japanese it's, 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 wife with you. But you want to shit on the country. That's what. I when get you. Came, when the fucking guy came up and shot you in the fucking head, that guy should have got a medal of honor. That's my whole problem with Lennon. I got a fucking problem with him. I think well, the guy sounds that like you do. I think the guy that shot him should get a medal said, of honor. You know what? What was it Dennis Larry said when uh, John Lennon gets five shots in the chest and Yoko Ono, not one fucking shot? Yeah, not one. <laughs> <laughs> I, dude, let me tell you, I think the guy came to kill Yoko Ono, but it's more. They both have long hair. They both look kind of Japanese. <laughs> they were fucking fucking shot. Fucking guy shot. I don't think you could shit. You'd have what to be mean, lumped up to confuse. You'd have to be lumped up to confuse. Uh, uh, you know, a little Japanese, ugly little Japanese woman and and John Lennon. I don't know, but okay. Yeah, you know, I got both of them. They almost look like twin after a while. It was dark out. <laughs> the guy didn't have his glasses. That's it. That's it. All right, let's let's let let's try to finish up here. We got Honey Pie right. as the next song, okay? And like that was that, like that was McCartney's kind of ode to 1920s flapper music, okay? Yeah. Uh when yeah. you hear the beginning it sounds like an old 78 RPM single, you know, revving up, okay? Uh, Lennon plays guitar on it, but uh, he was on record saying he hated the fucking song. Mm. Okay. Yeah. The next track Communist. is called Communist. The next track is called Savoy Truffle, and that was named after a type of chocolate that Eric Clapton used to like to eat. Uh, Chris Thomas arranged the saxophone parts, and he actually plays keyboards on that. 
The next track I, is. I cool. got one question: Did he like to eat that with George Harrison's wife? That's all. He I'm might saying. have. Yeah, he <laughs> might have put that. Are you saying he ate chocolate out of her ass, Rob? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I didn't say that. That's a I mean, That's let's true. let's call a spade a spade here. You're talking about yeah. eating chocolate out of somebody's ass. <laughs> I'm leaving alone. I'm sorry. All right. We'll leave that for a whole. We'll do a whole episode on that. Okay. Um, <laughs> cry, cry, baby, cry is next. And that was a yeah. track that Lennon began writing way back in 1967. And the lyrics came from the tagline of like an old TV commercial that he remembered. Uh, George Martin played the what was called a harmonium on the track. Mm -hmm. okay? Harmonium, yeah. Now, next was Revolution number nine. Number nine, number nine, nine. And that came from a bunch of overdubs that they put together, okay, yeah. related to Revolution number one. Uh, Lennon, Harrison, and Yoko Ono herself added kind of like what was called tape collages, where you would, she was into this avant garde tape looping kind of stuff and it was done right. in a spot I'll tell you I smoked a joint and I'm listening to this shit and I was I didn't know if we were getting attacked by aliens or Martians was coming yeah, to my room. Rev a bad trip off that. Re Revolution <laughs> number nine is not is not meant to be yeah you can't like do acid I'm like listening to this and then I'm like what's going you'll, on? You'll flip out <laughs> And it doesn't and it doesn't nine. end. Number like nine. you think you know, you always nine. think it's just you always think it's just number nine, number nine, number but then yeah. but it's like a whole other thing around it too, with all the yeah, gibberish. It's almost like nine minutes long. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. And that's yeah. I took some mushroom thinking I'd be all right. I'm listening to the White House. <laughs> but Revolution number nine. I wasn't a revolution. I haven't done I haven't done mushrooms in like 25 years. I, I don't even if, if I did mushrooms now, I'd fucking jump off the fucking Manhattan Bridge. I, it's oh, like oh. <laughs> oh my god, they're coming to take me away. Listen to the song, I'm tripping balls, and I'm like oh, the interesting thing about about go ahead. go ahead. The interesting thing about Revolution Nine, though, is it's uh, like like you said, it was a lot of segments of like conversations or music oh, yeah. takes, and they would either flip them over and play them backwards, tape them together, or oh, yeah, they would uh, just do a bunch of stuff like that. And uh, you know, they're rumored to have a whole bunch of Beatles messages or. Hidden messages. messages, yeah. Now, one of, one of my friends who was the big Beatle maniac, he said, If you play it backwards, which I've never done, it's a completely different song. And, really? and so, um, uh, I've, I've never done it myself, I don't know what it sounds uh, like. I've never, I've never done that. But, I think the only, uh, I think the only, I, I tell you, I, I that whole playing shit backwards thing, like, I think I only did it on like a Judas Priest record. Like I didn't, I didn't do it on like a Beatles record, you know. Well, George Carlin, uh, he he was doing his disc jockey thing, and he goes, he was talking about uh, listening to Crosby, Stills, Nash, Sacco, Van, uh, Vinny, and Zangetti, whatever. Yeah. 
And he says, and if you play the track backwards, you fuck up your needle. You know, <laughs> I never, I never wanted to fuck up my needle because I always had like, I always had like a top-notch phonograph. You know what I mean? I didn't record yeah. it. I, I always uh, that I, you know, I. I'd walk around with holes in my underwear, but I'd have nice fucking stereo shit. You know what I mean? No, but let me tell you, the only song that you can play backward that ends with a good story, it's a country western. You get your dog bag, yeah. you, yeah. you, you get your truck, your and you still got your truck. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the only song you play backward. Because if you now, have to I was making I was making comments to my dad because I. Yeah. I listened to this. Uh, I listened to the whole album over the last couple of days to prepare for this, and yeah, I'm sitting there listening to Revolution Nine, and I'm sitting there all of a sudden picturing like Clockwork Orange playing this song on speakers, very very loud flashes right. at in your with face the guy with his eyes stuck open. You know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> right, and you can't listen to Beethoven no more. Yeah. You know? <laughs> So with, with Revolution Number Nine, with Revolution Number Nine, McCartney, I mentioned this earlier. He was pissed off because he wasn't included with the process. He was actually out of town for a couple of days while they worked on this, and uh, you know he he felt like he should have been involved with it because it was done in the style of uh, an avant-garde composer named Carl Heinz Stockhausen. Uh, you know, there were guys like John Cage, Stockhausen, uh, people like that that were kind of inventing this tape looping weird kind of recordings. And McCartney was interested somewhat in it. He had done some stuff uh, the year earlier, I, I think a year earlier, based on that stuff, kind of separate from the Beatles. And uh, I guess he just felt like he should have been involved with it, but he wasn't. Now, mm. the last track on the album is called Good Night. And perfect song. And it was written by John Lennon almost as a lullaby uh, mm -hmm. for Julian. Okay, Julian Lennon. And he originally wanted Ringo to sing the song. Now, early takes of the song do, do have Ringo singing it. Wow. Okay. But in the end, uh, like George Martin's production kind of took out John's guitar. And they, they changed some things around. And, you know, Ringo doesn't sing it. Okay, it's I, it's, it's heavily it's, orchestrated too. It's very orchestrated, yeah, which very which, orchestrated. Yeah. Which I think John like didn't. I, that's not what he wanted with the song, you know. Mm. So, what we got to talk about in 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 the end here is um, the packaging of the record, which was very different. Mm. Uh, it was now it was issued on November twenty second, nineteen sixty eight. The album came out in the UK. And then three days later, it came out in the United States. Now, it was the third album released on Apple Records. They had just started that label about that time. And the first thing was Harrison's Wonderwall music, okay? Yeah. And then Lennon and Ono's Two Virgins. That was mm -hmm. the first two releases on Apple. The record was referred to pretty much as the White Album right away. Um, but when it comes to the record cover... Pop artist Richard Hamilton designed the record sleeve in collaboration with Paul McCartney. They worked on it together. And Hamilton's design was totally different than Peter Blake's Sgt. Pepper. Okay. Uh, they went for just a simple white sleeve. Okay. Now, the band's name on the original releases was 
embossed. Okay. When I mean yeah. embossed, I mean it was a raised kind of, you could feel it when you touched it. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then it was kind of, the Beatles was kind of like slightly to the right of the middle. Okay. Now, later vinyl releases uh, in the U.S. showed the title in gray and in printed letters. So it was a little bit different later on in other releases. Uh, each copy of the record got a serial number. And it was supposed to be like, you know, up to 5 million or something like that. And uh, in 2008, an original number five white album uh, on vinyl sold for 19,201 pounds on wow. eBay. That's a okay. lot of money. Now, but even more, in 2015, Ringo Starr's number one serial number, okay, his okay. copy sold for $790,000. On auction, did he need the money? <laughs> Might, maybe it went to charity. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think yeah. he, maybe he did. Uh, who knows? Maybe okay. he needed drugs. Maybe he needed the money. Maybe <laughs> he needed drugs. Some good drugs. Need a new pair of sunglasses. I don't know. Pay, uh, <laughs> pay for the re-release of Caveman or yeah. <laughs> listen, cats and boxing that. Don't fuck with Caveman. Okay. Uh, uh, the line, the line in there that is the best line ever in the movie is. Kaka, doo doo, shit. <laughs> that is a great line. It is. It is <laughs> top top notch right there. Now this the, the sleeve on the record uh, included the poster comprising of a montage of photographs uh, with the lyrics of the songs on the back, and then a set of four portraits kind of together of each of them. Okay, now during production of the album, not too many people know this, the original title, they weren't going to call it The Beatles or The White Album, obviously. It was going to be called A Doll's House. Yeah. Okay, and it was changed because there was an English band called Family that released an album earlier that year called Music in a Doll's House. What do you got there? That's the poster. That's the poster. Yep. Hey, oh shit. Yeah. Nice. Oh, you got nice. Wow, nice. It's not yeah. it's not an original. I got uh, I got a box set with uh, with other demos and stuff. Cool. Cool. Um just briefly, uh the sales of the record, it went to number one in the UK on December seventh, after being released November twenty second. Uh seven weeks later. Uh, Yellow Submarine would be released. And that was kind of a follow-up to the White Album. That was songs that they had already. They, they didn't right. even work on that shit. That, I don't, did the movie come out in 68 or was it earlier? It came out after the White Album. What, uh, so 68, yeah. Yeah, it or was during 69. The, actually, actually, it was during the White Album sessions because that, that was the, like the last big deal yeah. that Brian Epstein did for the Beatles before That's he passed right. away. That's right. So wow. while they were working on the White Album, that movie came out. Right. And uh, the, the only song, original song written for that movie was Hey Bulldog. Yeah. But, that was stuff that yeah. they had in the can. They didn't have to work on yeah. that at all. You know? Yeah. Uh, the Yellow Submarine got to number three in the UK that year. The White Album was still high in the charts at the time. So they had two albums that were competing. 
Um, in the United States, it was a monster hit, and it was it sold three point three three point three million copies in its first four days. Holy shit! Yeah, that's a think lot about of that. Think about that. I can't. I mean, I don't know if anybody's. I, I, it's different now. You can't talk about music now the same way, but. But even like, if you think of a major release, Michael Jackson, even or, or or, you know, I don't think he did that. I don't think he sold three million in four days. Maybe he did. I, no, and if he did, God bless him. But I, I don't think so. So yeah. I think it was the biggest album. Was the um, the Twitter album? The, that was his biggest album, which made. I don't think that sold three million in four in four days. I, I no, yeah, but it's, it's the highest so, grossing so, album. But, yeah, yeah, but it sold because it sold twenty five million copies mm. of Twitter. Maybe Twitter over sold. over a year, or like yeah, or maybe. I but don't could know. you imagine? Yeah. Think about it. In those days, in sixty eight, the end of the year, guys, in 68, came 68, out right. Yeah, came out right before Christmas, right? So it 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 everybody probably ran to their record stores right yeah. away mm. and picked up that record, and, and probably bought more than one. Right. I'm buying Mike, one for me. I'll buy it for my kid for Christmas. You know, wh- wh- you know, whatever. Okay. Mike, compare '68 when Michael Jackson album came out. It, it amounts to the same thing because there were probably more people, and there were more media people. But if you compare the Beatles to Michael Jackson, three million albums at that time is about the same thing as Michael Jackson saying 25 million albums at that time. It's the biggest Maybe. setting hit. Three million album. It's yeah. at that time. It's three million album in '68. Think about that. And and well, what's great too is it was a double album. Yeah, right. not double albums traditionally do not do well. Right. Okay. And that was George Martin's concern. I'm sure. Okay, he knew that history. I mean, you talk about Exile on Main Street. Okay, that came out uh, four years later by the Stones and. Nobody wanted them to make a double album. Okay, they George Harrison do that. was a triple album. George Harrison was a tri- that's that's true. Perfect example, yeah. and, and 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 that 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 sold uh, that. I don't know it if it went to well. number one, but it was very close. Okay, yeah, it sold yeah. a lot of records, but traditionally double albums don't do well. No. But that did. Now it spent nine weeks on top. Okay, by December twenty eighth, and then the following nine weeks in the United States, it was it was on top. It actually spent two hundred and fifteen weeks in the Billboard Top two hundred. Wow. That's what. Uh, that's that's what four years. Yeah. 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 Give or take. Yeah. A little over. Okay. A little over four years. Yeah. In the top two hundred. So in nineteen seventy two, you were still looking at that thing in the charts. The Beatles weren't even mm. around. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Amazing. Now, one thing to mention, though, and it doesn't it doesn't mean shit, is that critically, it got mixed reviews in the beginning. Okay, critically, some people felt it was kind of like overindulgence. They had too many songs. It should have been shorter. Uh, but some people loved it. They thought it was fan- like the best work they had ever done. One uh, interesting thing that I found out uh, a lot later was that. Uh, the Rolling Stones, they were having trouble keeping up with the whole psychedelia thing. Uh, yeah. And all of a sudden, one day the Beatles release uh, back in the USSR or, or Health <laughs> Together, and they're hearing straight forward. Thank the God forward. it's over. Yeah. 
and yeah. they were like, "Oh God, thank you." <laughs> yes, no, that, I've I've heard that myself. They uh they when that came out, they said, "Oh, we'll go back to making rock music again," you mm. know. So definitely, but uh, okay, so that's it for the White Album. Wow, wow. I gotta Ooh, thank long you journey. guys for long journey <laughs> to the end. Guys, I gotta thank you for this because I learned a lot about the music. I'm glad that Anthony came on the show. I think Anthony, you might be a guest that we gotta bring for other shows where we start talking about stuff like yeah, more than happy and to stuff be- like that. Um, Mike, thank you for all the research, but I think this is like this is a super episode, man, because you guys we cover a lot of stuff, man. In we two did. hours, dude, two hours and ten minutes. And Anthony, you know, this listen, show, the, the only thing I would cut off is that little part. It's going to be a two hour show. So get ready. For listen, you cut. Up. Yeah, you, you cut, you cut, you cut out. I mean, yeah, just don't cut out the part where you said Yoko Ono should have been shot too. Okay. I might put that in the beginning. <laughs> you might, you might want to think about that part where you were talking about the, what the song Ben by Michael Jackson actually means. <laughs> yeah, uh, bend over. Let <laughs> over, over take over. <laughs> Shit. We're going to hell guys. Oh, so guys, I like to thank Anthony. If you guys are looking for Anthony, he has a great podcast called Hey Bartender. It's on everywhere social media. Look it up. He got great swag. You can go to Hey Bartender uh, podcast. I mean, uh, Hey Bartender podcast.com and get merchandise. He has one of the best coins ever. So if you have a bunch of friends, you can get this coin. And, and you flip it, either you pay or they pay. It's a fantastic thing. I use it all the time in the neighborhood. And I get and, a lot and, of free and he's related to, and he's related to Henry Winkler. Hey. Henry Winkler. Hey. <laughs> hey. <laughs> so, uh, guys, check this out. And uh we're gonna put information. If you wanna be if you're a bartender, you wanna be on his show, give him a call because you still take it interviews, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. Well, I'm I'm constantly looking for people to interview. Well, call me. I'll send it to you. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think I think we talked for I think we talked once a little bit or yeah, yeah. uh, shared emails. But, yeah, uh, always looking for uh, servers, bartenders, people that worked in the service industry. I'm actually trying to branch out and talk to uh, flight attendants and other people like that to bring on the show and talk flight about their lives. So flight attendants are interesting. You should you should have yeah. rock the mic on your show for Verizon worker. We gotta go and fix people phone line. Yeah, <laughs> I want to be a guest on your show, Anthony. Yeah, uh, well, let's let's make it happen, man. Anytime you let me know, I'm available. I have I have no life. It's good. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, people, if you look for any other show, um, if you look for Anthony, you got you got your website. How can people get in touch with you, buddy? Uh, you can find me on social medias, uh, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. All of those are at Hey Bartender Podcast. You can also email me. Um, the email is dude at heybartenderpodcast.com. Dude. Mike, how I'm can people dude. reach you? I'm the dude. How can people reach you, Mike? I'm all over the place. Uh, Rocker Mike 212 on Instagram. Rocker Mike 212. You can find me on Clout Hub and MeWe under Rocker Mike. Uh, you can find me on Facebook under Rocko Mike because they won't let me be Rocker Mike. Rocko Mike, okay? And, of course, the Rock Show podcast group page on Facebook, 
got all the good stuff on there every day, song of the day, all that stuff. Uh, that, that group's been growing a lot lately. Uh, Rob, where can we find you besides at the bar? Unlike Joe Biden's approval rating, my approval ratings are up. <laughs> hey, you Listen, I, on your on your worst day, your approval rating is higher than Joe Biden's. <laughs> hey, you can find me every anywhere, just like Tabata Harris. Just look me up and you'll find yeah. me on social media. I'm getting dumped up. Uh, <laughs> Facebook, getting dumped up. Instant messages, getting up back wherever you go. Getting up there, but I'd like to thank Anthony and Mike for a great show today. And it's Wednesday night, guys. And after tonight, what are we going to do? We're not going to get drunk. We're going to get lumped up. up. Well, hey, bartender. <laughs> yeah, right on. Take care, people. All right, people. Good night and have a good one. See you soon. Take care. Let's get lumped up on the rock show.